The Cellcast is recorded in front of a live streaming audience. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Cellcast. Joining me today is a man who, uh, well, he just got done with some dental surgery. Welcome, Jacob. Mm. Thanks. Ow! That really hurt. That'll be the last time you go see Steve Martin, won't it? Yeah, ow! (laughs) Man, that guy's got some issues. Oh, my God. Oh, yes. Not as much as Bill Murray. Oh. Oh, (laughs) my gosh. That scene. Oh, my gosh. But uh, why thank you, let me use our co-host, a man who just got back from Mexico and decided to bring a plant with it. <laughs> well, Welcome, Drew. Well, I was, I did pass Roswell. Yep. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, this, yeah, this is going to be fun. Yes, yes. If, 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 it, if it turns into Audrey 2, oh, uh, this believe, is going to be a problem. Believe me, if, if it starts wilting because... While I'm watering it and it thinks it wants blood, it ain't getting any. <laughs> it's that, going to the trash compactor. That thing, is, that thing would survive a trash compactor. That is true. It's going in the incinerator. <laughs> that would go. I am go- I don't care that we're in a burning man right now. <laughs> I will go out and I will make a campfire and that thing will burn, baby, burn. Feed <laughs> <Hey>, me. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Not today, see. see Audrey. Audrey. See more. Get thee behind me, Audrey. Too. <laughs> anyway, Wait, oh my God, uh, Dila. Though, will you do me a favor and keep an eye on that weird plant I brought back? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, today we are reviewing probably the least animated animated that movie true. that we will ever review. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors, the musical. So the first quote unquote live action musical on this podcast. Yeah, I would, I would, I would take would take notice that like when Drew set the schedule, be like I didn't really pay attention to it until like la- like two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I was like Little Shop of Horrors. That's more. That's a live action film with a plan in it. I'm like this is a little bit of a stretch. I told you about this in July. You did. I and forgot. You forgot. I forgot. There's a bunch of stuff that's going on between July and now, which is fair. Which is yeah. fair. But yeah, I put this on there, and it got on there. We we're not reviewing it because it's <laughs> probably the closest thing to a full on kaiju movie we'll ever review. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> King Kong, I think, still may have to come up at some point. Possibly. But not yet, because that's still within, what, three years since we reviewed that for Movie of the Week? Possibly. But beside the point. Mm. Um. So, yeah. How are you doing, Jacob? Man, I'm doing great. It was, it's been, what now? Like a week? Well, two it's weeks. been two weeks yeah, since two we weeks. last recorded. Yeah, it's been two weeks. Uh, I have, we have put up two episodes since then. The last of our Looney virus episodes, mm-hmm. Chow Hound, mm-hmm. which boy, was that a fun trip going on trying to get, get a hold of that, that audio from 2020. <laughs> it was on a different computer. The one that I don't normally have plugged up. <laughs> oh gosh. And then, um, of course the last episode we reviewed live, which was, uh, Frankenweenie. Yes. So yeah. So yeah, yeah. Last week was pretty good. 
Uh, let's see. I had a lot of time on my hands between uh, church Wednesday night being canceled for water issues. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, that that was that was definitely interesting. Uh, that building. Yeah, that building. Good <laughs> night. But um, yeah, so last Friday, last Friday, me and my girlfriend, we had been playing this for months, for a couple of months now. Uh, we decided to go down to Galveston in October here in Texas. So it's going to be not so cold as it is right now. Obviously, not, the jacket. But not burning up either like it would be in like the summer. Exactly. I like going in the spring. Fair enough. Fair. Yeah, for for audio for audio listeners, be like I'm wearing a I'm wearing a hoodie. So whereas I'm wearing shorts because I didn't have to leave the apartment this yeah, afternoon. I did. It is cold here where yes, we are right now. Is. But with that aside, uh, it's we cold would, enough I open up my uh, windows to go to sleep to. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, so so we, we so we drove down to, drove down to Galveston. Wonderful time. Minus the you get into Houston traffic, which is a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And the other way to get to Galveston is like three times slower. Agreed. To go if you go around the east side to go down to Bolivar, mm-hmm. take the ferry. Yeah. You Which took the, you took the better way, trust me. Yeah. That's what I, I keep hearing. It's faster. It is a lot faster, even though the traffic minus is all the detours we did. Well, that's just Houston. Yeah, that is just Houston. But we got down there. We we stayed this wonderful. Um, Wonderful old mansion that survived the 1900 hurricane, Katrina, whatever. Um, Everything else. <laughs> yeah. What, I mean, like, this was an old style, Victorian style mansion. And this was just wonderful. It was like five to seven blocks off the, the seawall. Mm-hmm. It was a great walk down there. Uh, we did, we did the, tw- we did, we, you know, bought the, the touristy things. Mm-hmm. We walked the seawall. We, um, we did a lot of things. We, you know, had went and had lunch. We had dinner. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we had we had a, a picnic on the seawall, which was fantastic. Yeah, being the history nerd I am, you read everything. It's great. Yes, uh, it was it was a lot of fun. We we walked down. Uh, we uh, the the suite we had was two rooms. She stayed in one room. I stayed in the other. Um, which was a bit like it was interesting. It was fun. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. Uh, definitely the ghost tours would come by at night because obviously because it's Galveston, it's haunted. Everything's haunted. And it's funny listening to these tours make up stories about everything. It's right. hilarious. Uh, definitely when you, uh, for anybody who knows, be like, I have Tourette's disorder and I bark like a dog. Mm-hmm. So I we just, have yet to catch this on no. the episode, on the show, but we hope one day. Yeah. Be like, yeah. Be I like, hope one day. I don't know about him. <laughs> No, but uh, I, I I I let my defenses down because I can do that because it's be mm-hmm. like you put kind of barriers up where you won't do it as much, uh, and so I just let you know let the 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 fences down, and let the dog out, <laughs> and it was scare, uh, scare the people on the on the ghost tour. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's it was the home to Baskerville. <laughs> <laughs> it was great. It was it was so much fun. Uh, I would highly recommend if you have never been to Galveston, go down there. Uh, they they have tours. You can just go and just, you know, look for yourself. It's great. Um, yeah, so we were down there from Friday afternoon until like Sunday, like Saturday afternoon. Mm-hmm. It, it was just a wonderful time. Me and Ashley, my girlfriend, just had a wonderful time. 
And uh, it was a great, it was a great little venture. I think we we wore ourselves out walking most of it, <laughs> right? But other than that, it was great. Uh, let's see, church on Sunday, work has been interesting. Apparently, someone else quit while I was gone. So yeah, that makes the schedule even more interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's been a really good week. How about you? I know you went somewhere. Oh yes, we I went somewhere. After I made sure everything was up and running for me to leave Mm -hmm. and, you know, just being antsy about making sure everything was going to fire at the right time. Mm -hmm. Thank goodness I can check all that from my phone, even if I know I can't fix it from there. Mm. Uh, That'd be kind of all the way from where you from be like, oh, I can't do anything. (laughs) Well, thankfully, both times I would have been like in Lindale when when the things needed to fire. So, okay. Not too terribly bad, but still trying to do it from your phone. Yeah. It's a pain in the neck. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, we went to New Mexico to visit my grandma who lives on a mountain with her husband. Uh, I, hmm. I'm sorry. I can't think of him as my grandpa, no matter what I do. Right. But beside the point, um, it's about a two day drive to get there from where we are. Of course, one day was just Texas, Mm -hmm. (laughs) except we actually went all the way to Carlsbad, New Mexico, and that was an eight-hour drive while the last two hours were in New Mexico on some of the slowest, ugliest roads I've ever been on. Uh, No offense to New Mexico, but uh, some of your state is pretty. (laughs) A lot of it ain't. (laughs) A lot of the part I was on was ain't. but we went up to, uh, on the way there, like I said, we stopped at Carlsbad and then we went the next morning, we went through Carlsbad Caverns. Okay. Uh, if you've never been to Carlsbad Caverns, unfortunately, while it is not on the way to anything, which is the bad part, mm-hmm. um, you should make a trip that and see that at least once. It was a beautiful trip down mm-hmm. into that cave. Um, I will say I, while we only did like, a mile and I think it was a mile closer to a mile and a half. I could have my distance wrong there, Okay, which you wouldn't think even a guy my size that would wear out. Mm. The fact that it was at a 45 degree angle for most of it mm. would. Right. I mean, you go down the, the big room as they call it is like 700 feet down. I believe it's the same height to go down as it is to get to the observation deck in the empire state building yeah in new york give you an idea of the size of this thing mm. and uh it, it it was beautiful but we were tired because trying to stand at a 45 degree angle my calves hated me for three days i can imagine i mean literally it was like pain in the back of my calves uh-huh because they just, it was, I was working muscles, just, just to stay upright, I was working muscles I probably haven't used since I was born. <laughs> True. If we're being honest. Yeah. As much as I, ha- I have pretty decent leg muscles, there's only a little bit of fat on them, unlike the rest of me. Right. Uh, <laughs> but uh, it was hard just, to, it, it, it was that hour and a half going down that wore me flat out. Mm. Uh, but at the same time, we after, that was only half the day. The other half was mm-hmm. to drive up to uh, where my grandparents lived, or my grandma lives, and her husband, which uh, they live about an hour and a half away from the nearest Walmart. Sorry, Voldemort, the store that shall not be named. Uh, Trust me, okay. that was the closest grocery store 
<laughs> I think there may have been an Albertsons, but the Walmart was technically closer. Mm. A little far for Brookshire Brothers. Yeah. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Yeah, we didn't even see a Brookshire until we got to Sweetwater. Really? Not Brookshire Brothers, but the regular Brookshire. Yeah. I didn't know Brookshire's went over that far. Oh, yeah. But they do, apparently. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was a beautiful drive up there uh, in the... Because that's the thing. New Mexico has got to be the only state I've ever been in where you can see for hundreds of miles and still the next town will sneak up on you. Huh. You when you are on the road on I think it's US 82 between Artesia and that mountain, you would not know you were heading towards a forest hmm. because you're in the middle of a desert. You can't even see the mountain when you leave Artesia because it's a good hour and a half to get to the mountain from there and they're already warning you oh by the way the other side of the mountain it's steep you if you are driving a big truck you may not want to go this way (laughs) and trust me they you don't want to go that way in a big truck (laughs) but because your brakes most likely will fail well it's a steep enough hill that they had the 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 truck run the runaway truck runoff yeah on the other side of the mountain really had two of them i didn't see anyone using them thankfully yeah but and thankfully, no one needed to use them after we passed. <laughs> but yeah, it's don't get me wrong; it is beautiful. But you, the for the forest is not till you get into the middle yeah. mountains. Yeah. The outer mountains look just as deserty as anything else. You can't eat, even. We were coming up on like the the foothills. Yeah, there was no clue we were heading towards East Texas, basically, mm. except with deer and elk uh-huh. and. Not moose, but I wouldn't have been surprised. Yeah. But we did see like a bunch of of, uh, mule deer, I think, up there. They walked right up to my uh, grandma's uh, front porch. Hmm. That was weird. Uh, And it was quiet. Did a little bit of reading while I was up there. Got through, I think, the first three volumes of the Spy Family manga. Huh. While I was there. Um, Confused uh, the people's house I was staying at because they were trying to figure out why I was reading backwards. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, we had a good time. One of the days when we went down the other side of the mountain to Alamogordo, mm-hmm. which if you don't know what, well, Alamogordo is only there and the other te- signs of civilization are only there because the White Sands Missile Base is also there. Fair. They grew up around that. Mm. And uh, it is kind of hard to imagine when you're looking at the vista, overlooking all of that and go, the first atomic bomb went off just right over there. <laughs> it's kind of a weird feeling. Yeah. When you realize, oh, an atomic bomb has gone off somewhere near here. Okay. Am, I, get, a, am I getting radiated now? I'm not, I doubt that. Because, I mean, that first bomb was not super powerful. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't as powerful as the ones that eventually did uh, land in uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Right. But... Beside the point. Again, watch out for that plant. Just saying. That was at Roswell. Oh. We didn't go through Roswell. We saw signs. Oh. And according to my grandma, that is where all the weirdos in New Mexico are. Oh, okay. I don't know this for certain. Just going off what my grandma told me. Oh, okay. And she's from Amarillo, so she's a Texan. Forgive her. New Mexicans. <laughs> we forgive you. <laughs> but um, one of the cool things there is because, you know, that's where a lot of those missile tests went on back yeah. in the day. They actually had a space museum there in Alamogordo. Yeah. Uh, it's not as impressive as NASA. Of course. But 
to be fair, I'm talking about NASA. Yeah. This uh, was a little, just kind of a little small. It almost felt like a municipal museum in a way. Oh, okay. It's just strangely enough. But they had some stuff outside that had been collected at White Sands, it said. Mm. <laughs> test things that, they, that the government may have uh, found and needed to test to see how badly they could damage uh, our stuff during World War II. Got it. They had a V... They had a V2. They had a V2? Well, the remains of a V2. V2. Oh, okay. The fiery husk of a V2. Wow. Um, And a couple other cool little things. But what was interesting to me is... Well, as interesting as, like, the rest of the thing was, it's... Like I said, I've been to NASA. I've seen much more cool stuff than that but they did have some other cool little artifacts in there definitely if you're in alamogordo go to the space museum but uh they actually had and we didn't know this before going in there a star trek exhibit Mm. and you know me i'm a trekkie yeah uh and so it was cool seeing all this memorabilia Mm -hmm. and such from the back in the day they even had a lot of the old mego figures yeah from the original uh toy line yeah they even had something i remember owning in fact they had a book that I've got right here. Oh, gosh. <laughs> a very Klingon Christmas spelled with a K. <laughs> it's, this is funny. Not looking at it. Not looking at it right now. But um, the other cool things is they actually had some props that was on loan to the museum. Ironically, from uh, the Smithsonian. Okay. They had an original Tribble. Mm. From the Trouble with Troubles. Right. And uh, they had this little figure that you can see one of the actors holding in an episode called Catspaw, mm. which is kind of a strangely Halloween-esque episode of mm. Star Trek. You don't think of hearing that often with yeah. Star Trek. There's not many holiday episodes at all, but they did have a Halloween episode, It kind of. Yeah. And because uh, the guy may have been a vampire. Mm. <laughs> But it was also powerful. So anyway, he somehow in that episode transforms the Enterprise into a small little keychain kind of a thing mm-hmm. that's suspended in acrylic in the episode. And they had that little prop in there from nice. that too, which was cool. Nice. Uh, yeah, uh, the, it was int- it was interesting to see what was there, but uh, it was that was definitely a just a half. I mean, maybe a quarter day. I got you. I got thing. you. I got <laughs> we, you. We did that in about an hour, maybe two. And that includes walking around the gift shop. So it was, it was interesting, but yeah, we had a good trip. Uh, I do. It it was fun. I'm not sure when we're going back. If we are going back, I assume it won't. I I assume there's at least one more trip, but that's morbid. Yeah. Uh, But um, yeah, uh, we had a good, had a good, good trip. Okay, so I do have a question. Ever since be like you've done more cruising than I have. Yes. So me and Ashley, we went down to the the pier, went down to the the port mm-hmm. because she wanted to go see the wanted to go see the boats and be like, I wanted to, like wanted to go walk. We walked down there. It's like yeah, we t- probably went for like a three and a half four mile walk mm-hmm. around. Uh, I want to say I Louisiana. literally thought you were about to say a three hour tour. <laughs> almost, 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 but almost, but um. Yeah, so just I had this thought. It's like so be like if you were to go on a cruise mm-hmm. and porting out of uh Galveston. Galveston, like would you have someone drive you down there or would you park? As close as we are, 
we have done the whole thing where we got up that morning mm-hmm. and drove to Galveston and got on the ship that day. And then dr- when we got back, drove back. Oh, okay. We are like, I think here, I think it's about four hour drive. It's four, it's four hours. Yeah. Mm. Um, so, which is not too terribly bad. Now mm. that being said, I would not be above driving down there the night before. Mm-hmm. But unless you're going down there with someone who's not getting on the ship that's going to Galveston for some other reason, I wouldn't ask them to drive you down there mm. myself. Oh, okay. I would go ahead and park down there because oh. honestly, the parking if you're if you're going through the cruise line, yeah, the parking is not that much more. You know, okay. rest of your ticket. And plus, I think the longer the more you cruise and the more your rewards pop up, I think parking at some point starts yeah. to come down. I could be wrong there. I don't know. I'm only a red, although I go up to gold the next time I cruise. Mm. Okay. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's better to go ahead and do that. Because, oh, OK. And, and the re- main reason I say that is well, unless you got somebody down there. Yeah. Who use house you can stay at for free. Yeah. And then leave your car there for a week, and then they can drive you down to the terminal. Fair. I would, uh, unless you unless you've got that. I from here, I would go ahead and just drive down either the morning of or the night before, and just stay in a hotel. Okay. And then park there at the 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 cruise port. I gotcha. Fair. Because they do do a. I, I have not in the times we've been there. I've not heard of someone breaking into mm. cars down there. They oh. do keep an eye on them. They do. Well, good to know. Yeah. Good to know. Also, if you're going on a cruise, try to get down there early so you can eat lunch on the boat. Mm. Just a little suggestion. Okay. Good to know. Because trust me, you will want to eat something after you go through the trouble of checking in there Mm. on that boat. It takes Mm. a while. Yeah. But anyway. All right. So, Jacob, uh, I do have one question for you. Yeah. What have you been watching? All right. So I do have a very good question for you. Okay. Have you filled this city? I have not, but then I've not done anything that needed to be done for the city. Okay. <laughs> this okay. is a Batman reference, if I'm remembering No, correctly. it's not a Batman reference. Sp- <laughs> it's not Spider-Man. No. <laughs> I'm, I am at a loss. I should know this because I recognize it's a quote from a movie. But I don't remember which movie. Well, technically it's from a series. <laughs> Either way, <laughs> I reckon this is a famous quote, and I'm yes. losing geek points by the minute. Save me here. All right. So uh, over the course of two weeks or more like a couple of days, I would. Um, so I noticed, I think it was on Twitter, uh, the actor Stephen Amell, who was the lead act, lead actor in the TV show Arrow from CW. Right. Arrow. Yeah, exactly. Okay. <laughs> I Yo, remember Batman seeing, with a bow. I was not far off. <laughs> you weren't. Because Green Arrow is kind of a ripoff of Batman made by DC, <laughs> which is odd, but yeah. beside the point. Yeah, either or. Uh, I I noticed on Twitter that he put a post out that was uh, Arrow had be like the first episode aired like 10 years ago. Right. Which is kind of what? <laughs> Makes you kind of feel old. It does. It does. I was I was a huge fan of Arrow when it came out. Because I love archery, love archery, so I love archery as a kid, and uh, I wanted to get into it. It just takes a lot of time and some, you know, investment to get into it. But 
uh, I decided to just kind of like in tribute, not in tribute to like, heck, I'm going to just start rewatching the series. And I started watching it and I was like, this is pretty good. This is good. It's, there's some parts where it's, you know, it's very CW-esque and it's, yeah. just, it, it's a little too over dramatic, but yeah. I think a lot more of the, the later series, a lot more dramatic than this, but, uh, I really, I really do enjoy the storytelling in that show. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like how it's more like a father, uh, tr- a son trying to uh, re- uh, cr- uh, fix the the father's wrongs, yeah, and trying to you know uh, correct his father's wrongs. Those are what I was trying to look for. But uh, I really enjoy it, and I'm be like I'm not I'm be like I'm episode six right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's a good series. Uh, Series two, series, uh, season two is good. Season three, I didn't, wasn't the biggest fan of, but that's with every series. We like kind of a series, uh, one series you like, one, one season you don't. But, uh, I really enjoyed it, and that's what I've primarily been watching, except YouTube. YouTube, huh? YouTube, yeah. Anything interesting on the YouTubes? Uh, just more, uh, biographics and, uh, the casual criminals, which is one of those I love to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I like true crime and then you just like, I like learning stuff. Right. Yeah. Interesting fact. When we were down at the port, uh, we found a monument, a dedication monument to the battle of, um, uh, the battle of Galveston. Yeah. Which was the last battle of the, um, of the, the civil, civil war. war. I was like a two years after the civil war officially ended. It did. <laughs> but that was how long it took news to get down there. Yeah. It's like, hey guys, stop fighting. This stop or this this war ended two years ago. Yeah. By the way, we've got a new president. Remember that? Yeah. But anyway. But um. But yeah, that was. I'm I'm slowly crawling through that series. I mean, like I, I like it so far. Um, uh, the nostalgia is kind of worn off a little bit, but it's still good. It's still good. It's still very good storytelling. Where it's it's telling two stories at once, and it's mm-hmm. you know it's it's flash forward and flashback and just like it's it's done very well it's done very well and i highly recommend it it just depends on your taste to be like can you stand most cw shows that's just my question could you be like could you watch a cw show from the early 2000s (laughs) now i tried to watch that show when it was first airing Mm -hmm. And I think I had only two episodes originally. I only yeah. had two episodes left mm-hmm. when uh, I stopped. I have since seen those two episodes because uh, when the flash started mm-hmm. and I tried watching the flash when it was, when the flash was still new yeah. and I, re- and they got to that first crossover episode mm-hmm. and I'm going, who are you? And why <laughs> does everyone seem to know who you are? Oh, this is from when after, that, that happened after I quit watching arrow. Yeah. I guess I should catch up. And that's, and I tried catching up through season two. Mm -hmm. I think I got about halfway through season two. (laughs) And then it's like, I'm done. (laughs) All interest I had of keeping going is now gone. I can't even tell you why I quit. Yeah. It was more of, well, I'm tired of the show. I'm going to watch something else. And I never came back. That that sort of thing. Fair. Uh, Granted, I personally thought the first season of Arrow was too dark and it was, very obvious that's that they what i loved had, about that it they had, well it was very obvious that they were wanting to make a batman show since they were using all batman villains yeah and chris it was they were it was inspired heavily from christopher nolan's 
which is the fair, Dark Knight trilogy, which is fair. But it was just at some point where it's like, this is going to sound ironic, all things considered, especially with the movies that came out after this. Mm. It's like y'all lighten it up. Y'all are getting y'all are almost too dark for me. <laughs> A couple years later, and there's Man of Steel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Though I have different opinions about how that went, but beside the point. Right. Anyway. Yeah, so that's that's all I've been watching. What about you? Well, you would think with all that, I hadn't done a lot of watching. Right. But I did get to see a couple of cool things. Yeah. Starting off with the animated stuff, I will say I have gotten to watch the second and third episodes of Spy Family. Really? Of part two. Mm -hmm. To quote Dallas from Geek Devotions on his Twitter, Mm -hmm. that last episode gave me diabetes. It's that sweet. sweet. (laughs) It is that sweet. But here's the thing. I say stuff like that, Uh and you're going to think, oh, this show must have lost. Because I know you you saw part of the first part of Spy Family. Mm -hmm. You know this show has teeth. Yeah, it does. And you're going to think when I say that, that by this point, the show's lost all its teeth. Mm -hmm. It hasn't. Really? It is... I, I have decided that the only way I can accurately describe what Spy Family is... For people who don't know what this anime is, is it's the sweetest spy. Th- it's the most wholesome spy thriller you'll ever watch. Really? It's everything that you expect from a wholesome family show and everything you expect from a crazy spy thriller on the level of James Bond without ever getting that nasty. Gotcha. James Bond's not really that nasty. No. If we're, ta- if we're being honest. But it doesn't even get to that level of nasty. Yeah. But that level of action. Yeah. Um. But I did get to watch both of those. I had to watch it on my phone just because of where I was. But uh, you would be happy for your dog brother. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm picking on you because of the dog thing. Of course. But uh, these three ep- the three episodes, the first three episodes of part two so far, yeah. have been his introduction story. Yeah. And Bond, he- right? Bond. He doesn't get the name until the last. And the reason for the name is adorable. Okay. I don't want to spoil it because we are watching that show as part of TAS at some point. Okay. That show is, I'm still saying that is my favorite anime of the last 20 years. Okay. If not all time, Mm. I haven't made that decision yet, but, um, that I, I did get a chance to watch some of that. Uh, also got to watch a, old sci-fi movie from the 50s we watched it when we were in carlsbad uh that first night of the trip Mm -hmm. because it was late we were both tired we were looking for something to watch and we saw this movie coming on we both realized neither one of us had seen the movie Mm. both neither me or my mom had seen the movie so we sat down and watched the day the earth stood still really the old black and white yeah. classic, not the modern is it Keanu Reeves, not the modern one. Anyway, yeah. whoever was in that one, I can't imagine that is actually any good after I've seen this one. Uh, it is a, it feels like you're watching a two hour twilight zone episode. Oh, okay. And it's of that quality uh, of storytelling. Uh, I enjoyed it. I highly suggest other people go watch that. Also, it was a, 
It was it was a little bit of a slow burn, as most movies from that era are. Okay. Gotcha. And but this could have been done as a stage play. Hmm. It's the what just the way it was shot. And I finally now well, I don't exactly understand what Klaatu Barada Nikto means. Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't mean here what it means in the Evil Dead. <laughs> but in the original movie, I at least understand more of an idea of what it's supposed to mean. I got you. But uh yeah, that was a uh, that was a good movie. It was one of those we we decided, you know, this is probably going to be a cheesy movie. Uh we'll watch it for a half hour and if after a half hour we need to move, we'll go on to there was another movie coming on mm-hmm. that was a good choice also. It's like if after half an hour we're not getting into this, we'll switch over to that one. Yeah. After an hour, we look down and go, "Huh, I guess we're watching this movie." <laughs> Because we were like nearly getting you know, like there's like a, only a half hour left of it. it's like yeah I guess we are finishing this movie because <laughs> we're both kind of into this nice but yeah I do suggest uh, the day the earth stood still the original version I don't know anything about the new version can't imagine that that d- did well and I say that because I remember when that when the new one came out on home video yeah we only got one skew of those okay and only one way of selling it and it was the pack-in title with the original movie hmm and it really felt like you were buying the original movie and the new movie was the bonus feature <laughs> when you looked at it Fair. i'm not trying to be mean or anything but that's really how it felt when i, I was you. looking at it and i didn't buy it then i should have but uh that's why i feel like the new one can't be any good just because of the the way that release hmm but anyway uh what else did i watch the only other really thing i watched is i did watch some youtube uh went here and there nothing too fancy um but yeah that's pretty much pretty much all i watched okay so uh jacob it's been two weeks yes i want to know what's in the news okay the Cellcast News with your host Jacob Heron. All right, why thank you, Dilit. And uh, this one was more like somber because this was la- uh, last week. Yes. Uh, to qu- uh, I posted it on Facebook, so I'm going to just quote it verbatim. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is quoting uh, Don Bluth. Uh, Rest in peace, Angela Lansbury. It is sad. It is a sad day on earth. It must be a glorious day in heaven. We will all we will all miss you very much. You made us all laugh and su- laugh insane. Rest in peace. 1925 to 2022 Don Bluth. And I added to this uh, from a, from a grand duchess, Anastasia to a witch, the last unicorn and a beloved teapot from beauty and the beast. Dane, Angela, Angela Lansbury, which really missed October 11, 2022. When we lost Angela Lansbury, I know you were focusing on the animated stuff, but you left out two of her bigger, biggest roles. Oh yeah, that's true. Murder. She wrote and uh, bed knobs and broomsticks. Yes. But anyway, yeah, I, I, I like, yeah, I was, I was a witch more, and a mystery writer. 
Just that's, saying. That's, that's true. That's true. Anyway. Uh, so yeah, uh, that was, that was a big, big one that came out. Uh, so I know I, I brought this up, uh, when it was first announced, but, um, okay. So do the devoted fans of Cape Crusaders will be thrilled that Warner brothers studios, uh, animations full first ever full CG animated feature, Batman and Superman battle of the super sons arrives on October 18th, which is today. Mm-hmm. Uh, 2022 from Warner Bros. Home Entertainment on 4K Ultra HD Blu-ray combo pack, Blu-ray and D- uh, Blu-ray and digital. So if you are one of these uh, DC animated movie franchise people, mm-hmm. be like you probably already got it now, but right, it's out now, and uh, it looks interesting. Aren't so. Uh, going into a little bit of news that I saw that seems interesting because who doesn't love a little bit of Avatar? Avatar The Last Airbender, I mean. Yes. Paramount Pictures, uh, Paramount Animation, and Nickelodeon Animation has enlisted Flying Bark Productions to animate their first their first recently announced untitled Avatar feature film in a new... In a newly confirmed partnership with Avatar Studios. In now recruiting, uh, recruiting Flying Bark Productions, Rise of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, mm-hmm. uh, Lego Monkey Kid, and What If. Same studios behind those series. Right. Uh, is seeking Australian and international artists uh, across several 2d animation and 3d and cg departments which will see successful candidates join the team in australia in early 2023 uh they haven't given a date of what this untitled avatar film but it is based on avatar the last airbender from nickelodeon Mm -hmm. so that just sounds like fun yeah so I believe that's all I have for info and stuff. All right. Or the news. Let's say that. Yes, the news. We haven't got to info and stuff. I always get those two those two segments mixed up for some reason. Yeah, I'm not quite sure why, but uh, Bila, why don't you go ahead and move us into the spoiler free section of our review of uh Little Shop of Horrors. Certified fresh and spoiler free. This is actually my second viewing mm-hmm. because the first time I viewed this was right after was this was actually the first movie I originally watched when HBO Go first launched. Really? Yeah, I was actually when HBO not Go HBO Max. Yeah, when HBO Max first launched, I was looking for something to watch on the service. You know, I, I, the, the Disney Plus. I did the same thing with. I yeah. looked for something I maybe had never seen and never had a chance to watch. Yeah. So I went through the whole thing and I came across Little Shop of Horse. I'd heard of it, but I and I knew Rick Moranis was in it. Mm-hmm. But that's about all I knew about yeah. it. Other than I think um Nostalgia Critic did a top ten or top eleven villain songs, and he included the uh the dentist song from this as one of those. So that's the only other thing I knew. I had no idea how a dentist worked into a movie about a plant. Yeah. 
Oh my gosh. But yes. <laughs> uh, I remember watching it then and I remember enjoying it, but I remember thinking it was, a li- I thought at the time it was a little stilted, mm-hmm. but I also think I was tired when I watched it. Yeah. So I probably didn't give it a fair, I, I was still trying to figure out what on earth is going on here. Yeah. Um, so in th- this viewing, I actually enjoyed it a lot more. There was a lot less pressure, go- I think, going into it mm-hmm. to some degree for me. Uh, the only other thing I really knew was uh, Frank Oz directed it, mm-hmm. which does give us a connection to the Muppets, but it's not a close enough connection to call this a Muppet movie. Mm-hmm. It's about as Muppet movie as Star Wars would be a Muppet movie. That is true. But because uh, even though that Jim Henson's son was one of the puppet operators on Audrey 2, I found out yeah. Brian Henson was really. Yeah. And did one of the uh, and, and a lot of the puppeteers had worked at Jim Henson Studios. Yeah. So we are still seeing a uh, growth of their work. It's just this is not the Muppet Studios that was going to continue going on making at least Labyrinth and then later on make Muppet Christmas Carol and mm. uh, Muppet Treasure Island. But anyway, yeah, um, I enjoyed the movie then. I enjoyed the movie now. It's actually one I would suggest. I debate whether this would be good for kids. Yeah, I would agree with and you. The, and I say that for two reasons. For one thing, um, there is some language in this mm-hmm. that might be a little tricky for some people, uh, especially for kids. Mm-hmm. There is a scene where Rick Moranis gets hit in his manhood. Yeah. And it's fully telegraphed, but it's kind of it's funny when it happens, but it doesn't yeah. mean it doesn't happen. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, it's a, it's a, it was a, I enjoyed this viewing of it and it does kind of hit that kind of childish, uh, giggle fit mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. You know, it, it made my inner 12 year old happy, but my inner 12 year old would never have been allowed to watch this film when I was 12. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. It's just, uh, there are a couple moments. It's like, eh, maybe, maybe not. Yeah. Um, not to mention, I think to some degree, unless th- this movie is a little stilted for lack of a better word. Okay. Uh, I, I do think it's like, cause it's very much feels like you're watching the, it feels like you're watching the recording of a Broadway musical instead of a movie agreed. based on a Broadway musical. Yeah. Agreed. Uh, that's really the only bad thing I think about it, which mm-hmm. I'll, I do have some dislikes. I have some opinions but uh for this adaptation later on but other than that i enjoyed them i enjoyed the movie what's your what's your non-spoilery thoughts on it oh let's see well i remember watching a little bit of this when i was a child when i think my parents rented it or they you know someone let them borrow it or something Mm -hmm. like that and i was like it's a musical it's boring because my mother loved musicals and i just did not like musicals when i was a kid unless they're animated by disney that is true but you don't think of those as musicals at the no, time. No, you don't. You don't. Uh, I, I think of as an adult, I've uh, acquired a taste for musical in a way. Mm-hmm. So I do appreciate this more as an adult in the second viewing for this review. It is a very good film. It is a lot of fun. Uh, it's definitely a departure what I remember of this film. Yeah, because I remember just snippets and it's like, this is a weird one. And whenever Audrey 2 pops up when she's, you know, just big, large in control, it got a little scary. Understandable. 
So I, it's supposed to be a little bit scary. It is. I agree. Uh, is it family friendly? Eh, d- depends on your, uh, your, your, your level of taste when it comes to mm-hmm. what you want to, what, what you want to show your kids. Yeah. And, uh, that is parents discretion. Um, but overall, I really enjoyed this film. I was laughing my butt off mm-hmm. to, to quote Frank Oz, uh, when doing a, um, uh, talking about the little mermaid because his, his work with, um, uh, Ashman, Ashman, come on, Howard Ashman, uh, Howard Ashman. Thank you. Um, uh, when he, when, um, Oz was asking about this, asking about this film, be like, it's like, uh, talking with Howard. It was like, it's like. It's like, Frank, this movie's stupid. It's meant to be stupid. Yes. Be like, I literally writing this, be like, I had my tongue firmly in my cheek mm-hmm. watching, reading the, like writing this, writing the screenplay to this. It was like, it's just supposed to be cheesy. Yeah. And funny. And it's based off a Roger Corman film for crying out loud. This is not meant to be, you know, Oscar worthy, even though it was nominated for an Oscar. I did notice that, yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah. I think that's gonna be it for the spoiler free section. Yeah. We're gonna hit the bumpers right quick, and then we will come back with our full review of Little Shop of Horrors. This podcast is a proud member of Culture Box. Whether you enjoy geeky reviews, comedy, or original fiction, you can open up the culture box and find something excellent for your soul. Point your web browser to culturebox.media. This week, we suggest checking out Sunning and Brave, where each week hosts Chris Cowan of the Babylon Bee and Nate Henderson of some boring budgeting job confess their privilege, spotlight stunning social media posts, and fabricate outrage, all while keeping you super woke and enlightened. They will make you laugh. That's right. You have no choice. Check out Stunning and Brave at stunningandbrave.net. The Cellcast would like to thank the following patrons. Josh Adams, Ashley Ruiz, Book of Gaming. To get your name on the show plus uncut episodes, early access to the Cellcast plus reviews and special art from Jacob, please donate to us on Patreon. following is a spoiler filled review for little shop of horrors listener discretion is advised yeah baby (laughs) a little shop of horrors was directed by frank oz who had previously directed the muppets take manhattan it was also written by howard ashman with music by alan menken Mm -hmm. This is the least Disney movie they've ever made. <laughs> just just a little. Just a little. Little. It is, of course, based on the musical that Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote, which is in turn based on the film The Little Shop of Horrors, directed by Roger Corman and written by Charles B. Griffith. Hmm. Getting into the cast, Levi Stubbs is the voice of Audrey Two. And believe it or not, he was the voice of Mother Brain in Captain N, the Game Master. Really? Yeah, I can see it now. Huh. But uh, yeah, uh, Rick Moranis was the, uh, played Seymour Krellborn. Mm-hmm. 
He was Dark Helmet in Spaceballs and <laughs> Lewis Tully in Ghostbusters. Hmm. Ellen Green voiced the original Audrey. And uh, she played Goldie in Rockadoodle. Really? Yeah. Huh. Also, she was Mrs. Sugarbee in Rapunzel's Tangled Adventure. Or as I like to call her during those reviews, Paint Lady. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I had to look that one up. It's like, I know in this name, Mrs. Sugarby. Oh, her. <laughs> yeah. She's one of the villains. <laughs> uh, Vincent Gardenia played Mushnik. And uh, in the movie Bang the Drum Slowly, he played a character named Dutch. Hmm. Steve Martin played Orin Scrivello, DDS. <laughs> and he was uh, Neil Page in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm-hmm. And also Lucky Day in The Three Amigos. I have to Olé. do it that way. One of these days, I'll actually learn the whole thing they do when they say that. But anyway, <laughs> Trichina Arnold played Crystal, and she was played the character of Rochelle in Everybody Hates Chris. Minette Michelle Weeks played Ronette, and she was the teenage girl, a teenage girl in Norman's Corner. And Tisha Campbell was Chiffon, and she played the character of Carol Larrabee in Last Man Standing. These three are the Greek chorus that are. Oh, this okay, movie. yeah, yeah, yeah always singing back up for mm-hmm. everybody yeah uh jim belushi brother of john belushi mm-hmm. played patrick martin in the theatrical cut of yes, this film he did. and he was jim and according to jim while paul dooley played the director's cut version of patrick martin mm-hmm. and he was the voice of sarge in cars really yeah interesting John Candy played Wink Winkles Wilkinson. Oh gosh, yes. In uh in this. He was Barf in Spaceballs uh-huh. and Del Griffith in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Yes. Last but not least, Bill Murray. Oh gosh, played Bill Arthur Murray. Denton. Oh gosh. And he was Peter Vinkman in Ghostbusters. Yes. Kingdom Hearts Connections. There is there any? The loosest, but technically I'm counting it. Okay. Alan Menken. Okay. Wrote the music for this movie. Mm-hmm. He also wrote a special song you're aware of called The Healing Incantation from Tangled. Yes. Which is performed in Kingdom Hearts 3. Interesting. Okay. I count it. Okay. Unfortunately, it's not performed by uh, Mandy Moore, but we can't have everything. No. Anyway, that brings me to the end of the cast list. What do we got in info and stuff? All right. So IMDb, I'm actually going to stick to it this time because if you guys remember from uh, 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 Bad Movie Month, I had a tendency of, hey, let's go into a a better movie (laughs) this one. (laughs) But I'm actually going to stick to it this time because we're actually doing, you know, some really good movies this month. Mm -hmm. Uh, So IMDb is a 7.1 out of 10 available to watch on HBO Max, produced by the Griff Grinnett Geffen. Geffen. Okay, that's that's an interesting word to say. Geffen. Geffen Company, distributed by Warner Brothers. Release date was no, uh, December nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. Box office. Uh, it had a budget of twenty five million dollars. Okay, so little box, uh, little shop of horrors. Uh, after delayed needed uh, to complete a revised ending, uh, re- was released on December 19th, like I said before. Um, 
I had an approximate to a strong business over the uh, 1986 holiday weekend. The movie grossed over $39 million in the box office and considered to be a box office flop. Unfortunately. Unfortunately. Uh, but it did make it did make a lot. It, it made a very large comeback when it went to home release. Mm-hmm. Uh, home release uh, in 1987 on VHS and beta. Uh, as well as a decade-long history of being viewed on both cable and satellite television. Bullshop Horrors was first on DVD to be recalled for content. I don't know what the content was. Uh, In 1988, Warner Brothers released the special edition DVD that contained approximately 22 minutes of unseen footage of Frank Oz's original ending, uh, Warner Brothers reconstruct, uh, reconstructed and restored the ending in an alternative edit. While, it, while, yeah, if I could talk, with rediscovered color negatives of the sequence and help and the help of production notes from Oz and others, the film's creative team. It was released on DVD and Blu-ray. In October 9th, 2000, 2008, yeah, 2012. Uh, so apparently, I didn't know this, but there was supposed to be a remake. Why? I don't know. I, don't get me wrong. Yeah. Uh, if done correctly, I, this might be interesting in the modern day. Right. But I wouldn't want them to remake it. And plus, I can't, ima- as, as cult classic as this film and the original mm-hmm. the little shop of horrors was i can't imagine even a third version would i think it would have the same problems these two films had in theaters yeah uh so in january 2020 circle full full circle cinema uh reported that the that a remake of the film was in the works with teron egward i'm probably mispronouncing it uh It'd be like give us a cast who would be like mm-hmm. uh, Scarlett Johansson was supposed to be Audrey, Billy Porter was replaced Audrey too. Um, I'm not liking this cast. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the reason I'm not liking it is, I think some of those actors, because of at least what I've seen them in more recently, mm. I'm afraid that would take away from the charm of the film. Maybe if that makes sense. The okay. charm of the story. Fair enough. But I may be overreading it too. I don't know. All right, so there was a lot of people that were interested in the film. Uh, they had, um, at one point, uh, Chris Evans was interested in playing uh, Dr. or um, Martin Shorts. Uh, not uh, Dean Martin. Not Dean Martin. Come on, Steve dude. Martin. Steve Martin. I always get these guys confused. Uh, play his role. Um, but as of May 2021, the remake has been postponed indefinitely. And in September 2022, uh, it was revealed the remark remake had been canceled. I may accept something like this if it was done as a fully animated movie. Okay. I prefer 2D, but I think 3D would work also. But yeah. you've got to keep like you've got you've got to go overboard with the music, in my opinion, to make it for uh, all these. Plus, agree. I don't. 
considering the more adult nature of this film to some other ones, considering murder does take place in this film. Yeah. Uh, I don't, me. I don't know how well uh, this would play. I just really don't. But, Honey uh, blood. Anyway, <laughs> getting into the summary. It is the early 1960s. The, th- the three girl Greek chorus of Crystal, Ronette and Chiffon introduced the film, warning the audience that some horror is coming their way. Seymour Krellborn and his colleague Audrey work at Mushnik's flower shop in a rundown, rough neighborhood in New York City referred to as Skid Row. They lament that they cannot escape the neighborhood. Struggling from a lack of customers, Mr. Mushnik decides to close the store, but Audrey suggests he, uh, he may have more success by displaying an unusual plant that Seymour owns. Immediately attracting customers, Seymour explains he bought the plant, which he dubbed Audrey too, from a Chinese flower shop during a solar eclipse. Attracting business to Mushnik's shop, the plant soon starts to wither. Seymour accidentally pricks his finger and discovers that Audrey 2 needs human blood to thrive. Audrey 2 begins to grow rapidly and Seymour becomes a local celebrity. Meanwhile, Audrey suffers at the hands of her sadistic boyfriend, Oren Scrivello. However, she has feelings for Seymour and secretly dreams of running off with him to the suburbs. Seymour draining, uh, continues to feed Audrey 2 his own blood, draining his energy. Seymour soon attempts to ask Audrey out, but she turns him down because she has a date with Oren, who is revealed to be a dentist. After Seymour closes up shop, Audrey too begins to talk to Seymour, demanding more blood than Seymour can give. The plant proposes that Seymour murder someone in exchange for fame and fortune, as well as the ability to woo Audrey. Seymour initially refuses, but eventually agrees after witnessing Oren abusing Audrey. After Oren finishes his masochistic pay finishes with his masochistic patient, Arthur Denton, oh, who has requested a long, slow root canal. Oh. Seymour draws a revolver on Oren, but cannot bring himself to use it. Oren, who abuses nitrous oxide, puts on a type of venturi mask to receive a constant flow of the gas, but breaks the valve, and Seymour watches as he asphyxiate, asphyxiates. Seymour dismembers Oren's body and feeds it to Audrey, too, but has grown, to, which has grown to enormous size, but is unknowingly witnessed by Mushnik, who flees in fear. Audrey, feeling guilty over Oren's disappearance, is comforted by Seymour, and the two admit their feelings for each other. That night, Mushnik confronts Seymour about Oren's death and holds Seymour at gunpoint, blackmailing him into turning the plant over and leaving town. With no choice, Seymour begins to tell him how to care for Audrey too, but before he can reveal the secret, the plant swallows Mushnik whole. Nom, nom, nom. Despite widespread success, Seymour worries about Audrey 2's growth and unbridled appetite. Offered money and a contract for a botany TV show, Seymour becomes overwhelmed and decides to escape Skidra with Audrey, using money coming the next day and leaving the plant to starve. After Audrey accepts Seymour's marriage proposal, Audrey 2 catches Seymour uh, leaving and demands another meal. Seymour agrees, but insists on meat from a butcher. While Seymour's gone, the plant telephones Audrey, coaxes her into the shop, and then tries to eat her. Seymour, returning in time to save Audrey, escapes the store with her, explaining that he fed the plant to become more successful and win Audrey's heart. Seymour discovers that she has always loved him. Approached by an executive named Patrick Martin from a botanical company, Seymour is offered a contract to breed Audrey to and sell the saplings worldwide. Horrified by the idea, Seymour drives Martin away and realizes he must destroy Audrey too for the sake of humanity. Returning to the shop, Seymour learns that Audrey too is actually a mean green mother from outer space. <laughs> a, a, in other words, an alien. 
Audrey 2 traps Seymour and destroys the shop, but he grabs an exposed electrical cable and electrocutes it, resulting in an explosion. Mm. Leaving the destroyed shop, Seymour safely reunites with Audrey. The two wed and move to the suburbs. As they arrive at their new home, a smiling Audrey 2 bud, though, can be seen among the flowers mm. in their front yard. Yes. <laughs> Getting into the trivia. According to Frank Oz... Howard Ashman's exact words to him, as you said earlier, were, this is supposed to be stupid. My tongue was firmly in my cheek when I wrote it. Hence the deliberately artificial looking sets and costumes and comically absurd premise. Mm -hmm. During production, director Frank Oz shot a 23-minute ending based on the original off-Broadway musical's ending, but even darker. However, after audiences at the preview screenings did not react positively to it, the ending had to be rewritten and reshot for the theatrical release with a happier ending. In the cut ending, the plant attacks Audrey and reveals that it also ate Orin and Dr. Mushnick. Seymour pulls her from its jaws, but is too late as she is mortally wounded. Seymour confesses that he fed Orin and Mushnick to the plant. Audrey asks Seymour to feed her to the plant too, so Seymour can earn the success he deserves, and in a way, she'll always be with him. After fulfilling her dying wish, he attempts suicide by jumping off the roof of the building, only to be stopped by Patrick Martin. Martin offers to propagate and sell Audrey 2, saying he has already grown an Audrey 2 from a cutting he harvested earlier. Realizing Audrey 2 is planning on global conquest, Seymour resolves to destroy the plant. Martin shouts that his permission is not needed as plants are in the public domain. Seymour tries to kill Audrey 2, who tears down the shop, fishes him from the rubble, and eats him alive. Nom, nom, nom. And this is where, in the cut version, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space plays. Mm -hmm. The plant spits out Seymour's glasses and laughs victoriously. The three chorus girls appear in front of an American flag and tell how Audrey Two Buds became a worldwide craze and grew into an army of enormous plants that began to take over the Earth. Giant Audrey Two plants are shown toppling buildings and destroying cities as well as eating people. The United States Army fights the Buds as they ascend the Statue of Liberty, and Audrey 2 bursts through the movie screen, eating the audience. In the original cut of the film, Paul Dooley played the part of Patrick Martin. When the cast and crew returned several months later to shoot the new ending, Dooley was unavailable, so Jim Belushi stepped into the role. Dooley received a special thanks credit in the film, and his scene appears in the black-and-white work print ending that was available on the original DVD release. The 2012 Director's Cut Blu-ray DVD release restores Dooley's part and conversely, it's Belushi in that version who receives the special thanks credit. Hmm. As part of the film's promotion, the Audrey 2 plant was occasionally interviewed, in character, by the press. On at least one occasion, the interview concluded with Audrey 2 eating the interviewer. Nice. <laughs> I want to see that now. Yes, I do too. <laughs> the song Some Fun Now was adapted from the song from the off-Broadway show You Never Know. Four other songs, Close for Renovation, Mushnik and Son, uh, Now It's Just the Gas, and Call Back in the Morning were cut from the original, cut from the score, and one, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, was written for the film. Howard Ashman and Alan Menken wrote and proposed two songs to be used during the end credits, the ballad Your Day Begins Tonight and Crystal, Ronette, and Chiffon. These were dropped in favor of a melody of songs from the score. Mean Green Mother from Outer Space which was written for this film, is the first Oscar-nominated song to contain profanity. Really? As a result, when the song was performed at the Oscar ceremony, and I did find this video and watched it. Really? 
the song as when the song was performed by it was performed by Levi Stubbs and the Four Tops. Nice. It was edited, replacing the more risque lyrics with lyrics cut from the final film, though included on the film soundtrack. <laughs> the puppeteers who designed and operated Audrey Two were veterans of the Jim Henson Company, and one of the operators was Brian Henson, Jim's son, mm. and the director of Muppet Christmas Carol. Yes. Ellen Green, as Audrey One, is the only member of the off-Broadway cast to appear in the film. Really? When she originated the role in 1982, it was her idea to wear a blonde wig over her brunette curly hair. Howard Ashman originally saw Audrey as a brunette, based on the Jackie Joseph look in the original The Little Shop of Horrors in 1960. Hmm. The young girl leaving the dentist's office with her jaws wired before Bill Murray's scene is Heather Henson, daughter of Jim Henson. Really? Mm-hmm. It supposedly took Steve Martin six weeks to film all his scenes. He contributed ideas such as socking the nurse in the face. Originally, he was just supposed to knock her out using his gas mask and ripping off the doll's head. There were no blue screens or opticals involved in any of Audrey 2's scenes. The plant was made in six different stages of growth and there were three different versions of Mushnik's shop, making it possible for two units to work with the different sized plants at the same time. Each of the talking, talking plants had to be cleaned, repainted, and patched up at the end of each shooting day, which would take up to three hours depending on the size. Wow. All the scenes were filmed at Pinewood Studios in England, including what was then the largest studio set in the world, named the 007 stage. Oh, yeah. They did not want to shoot on location because it would ruin the fantastical mood of the film. Part of the giant 007 stage was used to film the Suddenly Seymour number. Due to its size, the stage was impractical to heat properly and thus caused breath condensation to appear. This was countered by having the actors put ice cubes in their mouth. Okay. <laughs> That's interesting. The scenes in which the two largest Audrey Two puppets were performing with the actors are filmed at a lower speed first at 16 frames per second and then at 12 frames per second for the final number hmm. this means that the actors had to move and lip sync in slow motion wow which brings me to the end of the trivia and we do need to uh go ahead and go into our first like and i'm stealing the first one this go time for, go for it Audrey, too, is an allegory for sin. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with you on that. And when we were talking beforehand, before we went on air, mm-hmm. be like when you said that, I was saying like, yep, pretty much. Yeah. Not pretty much is. <laughs> As a, Because when you make a statement like that, you do need a scripture reference. I have one. Nice. Uh, James uh, chapter 1, verses 13 to 15. Mm-hmm. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is fully conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. (laughs) I could not have asked for a better Bible verse for this movie. (laughs) Because that's the thing. Sin always seems like it's, even if it feels like it's going to hurt, yeah. it's not going to hurt much. It's just yeah. a little pinprick. 
Right. How horrible can that be? But the longer you give in to sin, mm-hmm. the bigger and bigger, bigger. Uh-huh. and bigger it gets. And eventually it will kill you. Yeah. And we all have to deal with that sin. Because mm-hmm. we all have to deal, because we all have sin in our lives. Agreed. But uh, yeah, this is uh this is a great movie, a great allegory for that. And I, I was halfway through the movie before I realized it. Mm. Cause I'd seen this movie before. I didn't quite catch it at first, but I was watching this and go, you know, this kind of reminds me of that story. Our friend chase tells about sin about the little bitty dragon mm-hmm. and it's fine when it's a little bitty, but when it gets big, yeah, you kind of have to do something with the dragon, but you mm. really can't. Right. I thought, you know, Audrey too might make more sense to more people. That is true. Because that's takes that's a little less you can visually see that. Yeah. But uh yeah. Audrey too is an allegory for sin, and it requires more and more lying and deception. Mm-hmm. The bigger and bigger it gets. Yeah. Tr- pretty much marks of the devil. Pretty much. Because he was a uh killer and a deceiver from the beginning, I believe. I, that's a that's not the actual quote from the yeah. Bible. It's definitely yeah. a, par- a paraphrase I just made, but yeah, it does say that in there somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, that's my first like is that this actually is a very good allegory for sin. Yeah. I would, I would kind of correlate it to more like what uh, King David and Bathsheba that be like, Oh, it's just a little thing. Be like, won't matter. Be like, and then you have King David who lies and then he be like, he winds up murdering uh, Bathsheba's Bathsheba's husband. Mm-hmm. And like, trying to cover up all of what's going on, and his his guilt finally comes into when uh, Nathan comes in and to be like, "Oh, this man did this," and be like, "Well, this man should die for what he did." Like you're the man, <laughs> you know that Nathan tells to King David. Yeah, and David's just like overcome with sin, be like, "Oh my gosh," kind of like, uh, oh, "What is uh the the main characters his character's name?" Uh. You mean Rick Moranis? Yeah, Rick Moranis. Um, like, <laughs> it's gone now. Seymour. Seymour. Yes, yeah, like Seymour's over. It'd be like he's 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 overcome by his uh, what like what he has done. Oh yeah. Be like it's it's the idea. Be like oh won't matter. Be like oh I brought this little plant. It's not gonna matter. And uh, be like he's feeding it, and it you know decides to be like it wants blood. And it's like okay, there's nothing wrong with that. And then it's just like Odd, so, but, uh, it's a different plant. Who knows? It's a different kind of plant. And then it's just, it'd be like, it becomes so, you know, massive and large. He keeps doing these things over and mm-hmm. over again that he literally, it'd be like, it engulfs him. And it, in the original, original, the, the, uh, the director's cut, it eats him. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's what sin does. That is what it does. Yeah. It's, and it's more often than not, it's an analogy I like to use where it's like, but like you don't realize like how big how effective sin is mm-hmm. be like if, if until you, it's too late yeah until it's too late be like you realize like if you were to take a uh, like the gallagher effect if you were to take like a watermelon or watermelon or something like that and smash it be like it goes everywhere because sin has this way of perpetrate uh, perpetrating everything in your life mm-hmm. so this is the uh, great analogy for that oh yeah and i just i'd be like i just like when you're saying that it's like yeah exactly and there again, we all struggle with sin. Mm-hmm. And I know some people say, well, like, I don't really struggle with sin. Be like, we all I'm, struggle with sin. I, I agree with you that there are some, only one person on who has ever walked this planet who didn't struggle with sin. 
And that was Jesus. Amen to that. So I'd be like, I lead up. Be like, I've no, I've known Christians who believe that once you're saved, you no longer struggle with sin. And be like, yeah, where, right. Yeah, where, where in the world do you get that in the Bible? <laughs> but either or, it was, it was so you be like when you said that, it's like, oh yeah, I'm thinking the exact same that verse because mm-hmm. there again, be like, I don't remember all the verse, but I think of like Yoda's quote from Star Star Wars Episode Three, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was my first like. What okay. is your first like? Awesome. That's that's a good way to start it out, man. My first like is, it's such a cheeky story. <laughs> it's such a fun little story. Yeah. That there again, uh, Rick Moranis' character be like, it's like, hey, be like, hey, I found this plant. It's gonna make it's gonna make everything better, and it's just like as Audrey becomes bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, mm. it's just like, it's revs up and it like, even like it's, it's not one of those where it's, Oh my gosh, this is terrible, but it's all played for laughs. And it's not the stupid idiotic comedy where it's be like, Oh, we're going to make you laugh. <laughs> but the story itself makes you laugh. The characters make you laugh. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed, enjoyed, this movie tremendously when it comes to its story. And uh, yes, my first, like it it is a cheeky, funny movie. I love it for that. All right. Number two, my second, like is all the little different versions of Audrey two. Oh yeah. That all of those puppets Mm -hmm. are downright beautiful in Mm -hmm. terms of construction. Yes. uh, And how they handled the different effects uh, my the first one that still blew that blew me out of the water. Yeah. You know, first time we see Audrey too, it's not even really being moved. It's just a static plant. But that part after he feeds it the first drop of blood mm-hmm. and we see it bloom, mm-hmm. that was an amazing shot. Oh yeah, and that was done in a time before computers. Yeah, they did that mechanically and yeah. physically. I that blew me away. Mm. Them doing that thing where it was as it was slowly blooming into mm-hmm. the whole thing and getting bigger, even mm-hmm. in that shot. Now, granted, most of that I, I read that where it was where it looked like it was growing in size. They literally just zoomed in on the plant while the depth of field kind of fell mm-hmm. back. Yeah, and they did it in such a way it just made it look like the plant grew. Yeah, but the rest of how that animated uh, to make it go from being you know this closed up thing to our first real look at the monster mm-hmm. there was more obvious. It was not just a normal plant, but a monster mm-hmm. plant. Um, I thought that was done very well. Uh, but all the other little versions, how it slowly grew and the acting. And then of course the two big versions of Audrey too, mm-hmm. culminating in a song I'll be talking about later. Uh, but that whole, that last bit of, even the songs um, uh, "Feed Me Seymour," mm-hmm. uh, where he's singing along, and that that was animated very well. Oh yeah, that that puppeteer's performance was done the good there. Um, and then there's another one he sings in before the end, and I can't think of the name of it right now. But um, the puppetry on Audrey too, I thought was done very well. Mm-hmm. It actually makes me wonder if either this version of Audrey two. Or the original Audrey 2 from the Roger Corman film, if those were inspirations for the Piranha Plant from Mario? Possibly. I don't know if it is, but I kind of 
wish it was if it isn't. But um, I really did just like the way they designed it and made it talk and move. It was very believable. Okay. For what it was. And I think it's the kind of thing that CG does not do a good job of. It never really has. Fair. But I, with this version of it, it actually felt like, yeah, I could see this being a physical plant that can talk. It really did feel like yeah. that. Part of that, though, I think was the motif of everything else being cheesy, but mm-hmm. it fit very well with the art style. And I think it works very well. And I I loved all the artistry that went into it, even going down to making the actors have to lip sync in slow motion at the end in the in the last song yeah so that uh they could because the way they had to animate just to to move the 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 operate the puppet mm-hmm. in a way that looked believable they had to film at a slower speeds yeah so yeah i i enjoyed that all everything they did with audrey too i thought that was very well done nice my second leg is to quote quote the movie Feed me. <laughs> I love Feed Aud- me Seymour. Feed me now, fool. <laughs> you sure does look like plant food to me. <laughs> I love Audrey too. Be like from the voice, the voice actor to mm-hmm. the the simple like the, the puppetry of this thing. Yes, it is so like like you said before the fact that like it's a static plant, but when you get to um seymour feeds it with the first blood yeah the, the fact to be like that, it's 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 doing this like 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 kissing motion yes for, for the blood it's like that was so good that was mm-hmm. so well done and as you know audra gets bigger and bigger and bigger like the center well, of our life does and that and that's that at the end it's at the end of both the the uh the theatrical cut and the director's mm-hmm. cut when you see that one bud smile oh yes oh that was so <laughs> that wickedly was so good. creepy but it's like oh my word you did that physically yeah there's no computers at this time that would do this <laughs> oh my gosh and i know that's all animatronic that mm-hmm. did that but still it looked amazing mm-hmm. agreed uh the scene that got me the most it was like the uh the feed me seymour scene mm-hmm. where it's uh he sees uh Audrey one getting abused by her very much was a a scumbag of boyfriend by by Steve Martin, by Steve Martin, (laughs) which his performance is. He did a good job. He did. He killed it the entire time. But Audrey, I don't, I still don't consider it my favorite role of his, but he did do a very good job. Fantastic job with this, uh, this performance. Uh, But the, that scene where it's like uh, Seymour and Audrey two are, like having that conversation be like, mm-hmm. you need to feed me, you need to give me human blood, you need to do this, you need to do this. Be like how they operate that 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 mechanical creature. Yeah. That monster is like it's so be like, it's literally be like Audrey be talking, he's literally right there in the camera. Mm-hmm. You're literally going into its mouth. Yeah. And it's just be like one, it's shot so beautifully. I don't know who who did the cinematography on this movie, but did tremendously well. And I was just like blown away by that. And definitely the, the, the puppeteer, the puppeteering in this movie is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like, it's like, I'm thinking like when I'm watching it, cause I was like, is this Henson? But obviously it's not, not. It's not actually Jim Henson associates. It was people who were no longer working for Jim Henson yes. associates that they hired for this. Mm-hmm. 
but people who were connected to it. Yes, people were so, connected I mean, you to it. You can see the the uh, the, the, craftsmanship. the types of craftsmanship that yeah. we know from that company. Yeah, but just like the the character, the the way they express the character. And it was just like this leaps and bounds of technology they learned from Jim Henson and the movies they done with Henson this to to bring this 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 puppet to life. And you kind of be like you started to understand who this character was definitely towards the finale mm-hmm. with with him and Seymour going at it uh, in either version, in either version of the film. Uh, it's just so phenomenal. The 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 again, puppermanship. Puppetry. Puppetry is so well done mm-hmm. and so like almost realistic. It is just it's it's hard to describe. It's yeah. hard to describe. It's so well done with without trying to just reuse the same words over and over again. It's mm-hmm. phenomenal. But yes, Audrey 2, the the amazing alien monster who has come to destroy the world is a phenomenal character. And I laughed every time the character talks. Yes. <laughs> Feed me Seymour. <laughs> so getting into my third, like, okay. I mean, my third, like is one particular song. Okay. That is the best song in the film. And it's amazing that this was not in the original play. Mm. Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. Oh, yes. This song is <laughs> downright the most fun song in the whole thing. It yes. is the best villain song I think I've heard in a while. Really? I mean, he goes to the trouble of saying, uh, you know, you, you I, I'm not I'm not no creature from the Black Lagoon. Yes. <laughs> I'm uh from beyond the stars above the moon, something like that. Mm-hmm. It says, you can keep the thing, keep <laughs> the it. Yes. <laughs> Referencing the thing, John Carpenter's the thing, yes. and it. Stephen yeah. King's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the first ones, the verse they uh one the verses they cut out mm-hmm. talk about uh don't talk to me about uh old King Kong. Yes. My temperament is wor- is worse or is worst of all, or something like that. Uh, that song is like downright hysterical mm-hmm. and it's, 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 I've talked about villain songs before. Yes. And what yes. A good villain song is. And to me, a good villain. And I, I don't remember if this is how I've said it before, but mm-hmm. I'll say it this time. A good villain song either is about the villain talk boasting about himself. Yes. Or is about everyone talking about how evil the villain is. Mm hmm. Unlike my other favorite Disney villain song, Mm -hmm. Be Prepared, which was him boasting about how his plans are going to succeed. This is my plan worked. Mm -hmm. I survived. I am. There's nothing you can do to stop me now, Seymour. And yeah, in the theatrical version, Seymour does technically beat him. Mm -hmm. Technically. Yes but it's never gone true uh and of course in the other one he does this audrey too does win but it's it's so nice just to have this very fun song about yeah i'm the greatest thing that's i'm the greatest thing that's since sliced cheese and you know it and there's nothing you can do to stop me mm-hmm. that you don't get villain songs like that often no you don't Not where the villain has actually set 
shown that, yeah, I am the greatest thing since sliced cheese. Yeah. And you know it. And I have evidence. And the evidence is the other hour and 30 minutes of this film you just watched. <laughs> mm. Oh, yeah. And so, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed that song. It's very fun. And I, I can't imagine since this film came out and you ha- now have this song that it has not worked its way into the other show, the the, the, the original musical. Mm-hmm. They have to have added this to the musical by now. You would think because so. Because it's such a great song. It is. I would agree. But to look that up, see if they actually did it or not. I know it's not in the soundtrack to, oh. the, to the musical. Oh, okay. It is in the film, but not to the musical. I got you. I might have to down. I might have to go and find the soundtrack and just get that one song because it's so freaking yes, good. It's so much fun. Yes. Anyway, that's my third like. What is yours? Mine is uh, the director's cut ending. I freaking because okay, watching watching the theatrical version, I'm like, okay, this seems a little odd and the reason i suggested we were reviewing more the theatrical version yeah. than the director's cut is mm-hmm. most people when you go out to find this film you're probably not finding the blu-ray we're watching that's got the director's cut there edited into the film more than likely you're gonna find the theatrical ending mm-hmm. which i do prefer the director's cut ending but my dislikes may sound like otherwise in a i got minute. you gear fair favor go ahead but the original ending or the director's cut, I think fits more with what this story was originally mm-hmm. because there again, it's based off, um, um, an off-Broadway musical. Yes. An opera or off-Broadway musical, which in turn is based off a of Roger Corman film. Yes. So you have this more be like, it's a, it's one of those stories you normally don't get is where, be like you don't get the happy ending. Yeah, you get world conquest by you know this, this plant monster. This is a tragedy. It is a fun trip yes. through down the right ra- down the toilet bowl. Yes, but it is a trip down the toilet bowl, <laughs> and not in a bad way, if that makes sense. No, but it's just it's so well done. It's like it's, you're not supposed to be happy at the end of this. No, film. you're not. And it's just it's so well done. It 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 be like it's it stays true to the original off-broadway show mm-hmm. as far as i understand because i haven't watched or listened to any of it yet but it's it's so, i'd be like I, I watched it because i i saw because i was looking at the uh the special features and gave you be like uh frank oz's comment on the you know the theatrical cut and this i'd be like okay so i watched the him talking about the cut mm-hmm. i was like Oh my gosh, I got to watch this. What in the world is going on? And I was like, oh, well, this I, is so good. <laughs> I texted you before I uh, went because Sunday night I got home. I actually gotten home a little earlier yes. than originally intended. Yes. And I'd gone ahead and watched the film and I went and found, okay, where does the director's cut start? Mm-hmm. And it took me a couple of tries myself to figure out where it yeah. started because I knew the only difference was the ending. Yes. And the original and the director's cut ending was longer. That's all I really knew. And I found it at scene 19, uh-huh. which no matter which way you go, scene 19 is where the, 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 the other ones, the other, the, the, the endings start. Yes. It's where they separate. And I text I, when I texted, if you needed to borrow the thing, mm-hmm. I, and you said you were busy and just drop it off. That's when I texted you and said, mm-hmm. by the way, while we we're reviewing the theatrical version, if you want to see the director's cut ending, mm-hmm. I didn't tell you to watch 
watch it. No, you I didn't. just offers like yes, go to scene nineteen, start from there. Yeah, that was the easiest That's way. Right. That That's was right. the yeah, yeah. easiest way I could tell you what where to start without spoiling a thing. Yeah, agreed. Because I was going to say, well, go to where the Audreys meet. Uh huh. <laughs> that was the only other thing I could think of. But oh my gosh, like this this ending is so well done. And I I understand why the the uh, the screen the screening audience didn't mm-hmm. like it because they got chemistry with these two with yeah audrey and uh and, and plus yeah. when you're watching the director's cut in context with the rest of the movie because i actually when i went back and watched it i actually started a little farther back than scene 19 uh it actually when you actually see rick moranis get eaten mm-hmm. it almost comes out of nowhere in a way yeah because it doesn't really feel like it because it does feel like you're expecting all the stuff to go Rick Moranis's way. And at the end, it doesn't go his way. Yeah. But and I remember thinking, Oh, this feels like it ended. And then another scene starts. It's like, oh, yeah. where is this going now? Uh-huh. And it's done so well. Mm-hmm. It's so, I mean like this, the scene, if you haven't seen the movie yet, be like, yeah, go watch the theatrical cut and then go and find the, the director's cut to this film. You will not be disappointed. In many ways, I would say if you can find the Blu-ray, yeah. just watch the director's cut. Yeah, there we go. I, I we were reviewing this as a theatrical cut, but I knew I was going to talk enough about the director's yeah. cut uh, that we're pretty much reviewing both movies, mm-hmm. especially since it's only like a difference of 20 minutes. Yeah. But anyway, but that 20 minutes makes so much a difference in the film. Oh, yes. Yeah, because it it gives more this the the larger scheme of what's going on. Because in the theatrical cut, it's kind of it's more touched on and then they go into, you know, the 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 probably the greatest song in this in this mm-hmm. movie. But and there's even differences in how they did the song even though you can tell where they used the original footage and where they had to add in other, edited in other things. That yeah. Was, I thought that that was interesting to see how they handled that. Yeah. To me anyway. Yeah. I did notice one thing where they would, there's the scene when the original in the, uh, the, uh, the theatrical cut is where Rick Romanus character looks over and be like, he sees the ax, but in the director's cut, they cut part of it to where yeah. he, he doesn't look towards the ax and he goes, directly towards the vine shooting around him mm-hmm. but this ending is so well done it's literally the the Audrey twos you know victory song victory song and it's just so well done i really really enjoyed it and uh there was a part of me i really wish i would have watched the director's cut first but you know as the review as this review we did the theatrical cut mm-hmm. so yeah the the director's cut or the original cut Oh my gosh, superior in every fashion or form, uh, except for like one thing. But I'll I'll get to a nitpick later. Right. But that's my number three. All right. So let's go ahead and jump into our dislikes. Yes. And kind of jumping on that same train you were on. My first like dislike is the theatrical ending. The theatrical ending uh, does not add. It changes the story for one yeah. thing. Gives us the happy ending, but it really does feel like they filmed you can tell they filmed it at breakneck speed uh-huh. they did as little as they had to to finish to, to film a happier ending with just some good tweaks in the editing to show her still being alive mm-hmm. during the song yeah um and it's an i feel the the happy ending is unearned 
in many ways yeah. because in in the in the theatrical version all Rick Moran yeah remember Rick Moranis's character murdered two people at right. least yeah maybe more if we're being honest but at least two people yeah that we and know of. then he gets away virtually scot free true I don't feel like he gets what he sh- granted mercy is a thing we won't right granted but in the way the context of the story I feel like it kind of ch- that the theatrical ending kind of cuts what the story is trying to tell you off mm-hmm. at the knees agreed so yeah I don't like the theatrical ending yeah what's your first dislike mine's the exact same thing the the theatrical version of the ending is kind of lackluster like mm-hmm. like you said it's it's kind of this film that they 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 had to do it wasn't what um they wanted they wanted to do but it was like we got to make this a happy ending mm-hmm. and it felt it felt like it was rushed the the point where uh Seymour sticks his hand out of the uh the ground and electrifies um now I thought it was funny I actually thought yeah. it was very funny he's like the, he's like the, oh bleep and the special effect they did that actually was done very well yeah I agree or being done quickly even though I have no idea how they did the Audrey 2 puppet because I almost think by that point the puppet had to have been disassembled at least possibly but at the same time they had the Audrey 2 puppet at the um Oscar performance yeah of the song live wow <laughs> wow or at least a version of it yeah yeah but like this the theatrical ver- the theatrical ending of this film seems a bit rushed because mm-hmm. obviously it was um to me if they would have done if i if if i was given a choice if i was given a choice was more that rick Moranis's character would have more taken more like a noble sacrifice in order to stop um uh stop Audrey too yeah with maybe this idea that like maybe he found an explosive or something like that make it more and, a pyrrhic victory yeah he still had to pay for you know, uh, he had his, to pay for his he sins had, yeah he still had to pay for his sins but he still was the hero at the end of yeah. it yeah like he like like the idea of like he would have like nobly let himself be swallowed by the beast, but then mm-hmm. the, the beast would have blown up. But at ah. least, at least he would have, he would have saved Audrey. Mm-hmm. But, uh, that, that's, that's, that's my, that's my thought. It'd be like, I thought it would have been a better idea than what they had with, but the, the very end of the theatrical cut with the little Audrey to say ceiling, yeah, uh, being in the garden, I thought was a very good touch. That's, that's a good way to say, yeah, the other ending is happening too, mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, but anyway. not in this film, but not in this version. But that was that's my the the ending of the theatrical version. It just didn't seem to mesh very well, mm-hmm. and you can tell they were in a rush. Yeah, and yeah, that's all I got. That's all I got for. My second, my first is like, what about you? I'm about to sound like I'm uh, second guessing myself. Mm, okay. I also don't like the director's cut ending. Really? Not the whole thing. Okay. I really feel like the movie should have ended 
when Rick Moranis got eaten. Maybe something else to kind of like finish it up. But at that yeah. point, you could have gone to like, you know how some movies at the end, they'll have the little, the pictures of something happening mm-hmm. with the text underneath. Yeah. To say, here's what happened to this person. Uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that would have done better than we've got a whole nother song that you're going to get to, you're going to watch. Yeah. And we're going to to show the aftermath of what happened mm-hmm. and how it occurred everywhere. Honestly, my problem with it is, is that I felt that part went on too long. Okay. Fair. Uh, I think it could have been done more tastefully kind of just showing you quickly. Okay. Here's what happened. I think it just wallows in the darkness at the end, just a little too long. Okay. You want to get right down to it because you can make it seem like, yes, the world's coming to an end, but you didn't have to show all the Audrey twos going and killing everybody. Yeah. Granted, some of those shots I thought were done very well done yeah. as shots, but I felt like the more and more that last song went on, the yeah. longer the movie was overstaying its welcome a little bit. Fair. I do still like the part that the, the first half of that, where uh, both where, where Rick Moranis's character gets his gets what he deserves. Mm-hmm. Basically, I thought that I feel like that's very well done there. But I, like I said, I really do feel like it could have ended there, or maybe just a little bit farther, without going through the whole. Here's another five minute song with more death and destruction than yeah. okay really the rest of the movie has yeah and don't get me wrong i love me a good kaiju destruction fest mm-hmm. and that is what that ending is agreed but in context with the rest of the movie mm-hmm. i feel more like now we're wallowing in the nihilism i would agree with you there and i kind of don't like that part of it i, I would have preferred it stop at he Rick Moranis gets what well he has to pay for his sins mm-hmm. and his sins have consequences. And that is the consequence mm-hmm. of him dying at the end of mean green mother. But I really feel like it goes on too long. And I feel like, I, I feel like once Rick Moranis has died, the movie has gotten its point across and maybe you just needed a little bit of, you know, conclusion, but not a whole four minutes or how, I don't know how long it was, but it, that, yeah. that last song does seem to go on a it little drags. too long. It drags. It goes on too long, the entire ending sequence. So, yeah. Uh, that So, ironically, I don't like the theatrical ending or the director's cut ending. Mm-hmm. I kind of want something that takes the best of both of those. I gotcha. I don't want it to be a happy ending per se, but... I think you could have, what you could have done. Okay. I think this would have handled it. You could have had Rick Moranis get eaten. Yeah. You have a scene saying, yeah, it, the Audrey two plant uh, buds were, were sold. Mm. And they were a big craze. And then you, or maybe you end with another family who have just picked up an Audrey two from mm. the grocery store or something. Yeah. And they plant it like maybe out in their garden and mm. then they go inside and play. And as and the camera zooms like like it does in the theatrical ending, mm-hmm. it zooms in on the Audrey two in the garden. It looks at the camera and then smiles. Yeah, I think that would have been a more tasteful ending. Now, granted, I love the fact that yeah, 
the Audrey twos are taking over the world and the movie theater you're in. Yeah. I think that's a cool ending. That was too. a good ending. I agree. I, I thought, but it's like the longer it took to get to the Audrey twos on the Statue of Liberty is like you're just, you're holding out here a little too long. And what's really weird is I think this is going to. I'm actually going to take the the uh, the name of this episode. Okay. I think I'm going to take from the last song. Don't feed the plant. That's okay. the name of that last song. Yeah. I think it, it aptly fits, but I think don't feed the plant as a song goes on too long and really starts Fair. reveling in the death and destruction and apocalypse that I really, that's not really what the movie was about. Yeah. It's just the natural conclusion of those events. And I think you could have alluded to it better more and it would have been more powerful than just death, destruction, wasn't that a fun movie? Now everyone's dead because of one man's being crazy. And honestly, anyway, yeah, it just would have been a little, I just feel like the ending could have been done more tastefully. Okay. What is your second dislike? Well, before I go into my second, like, I don't think I have a second dislike, but I, I, I appreciate what they did with the, the, uh, the, uh, the director's cut. It is be like, um, the cinematography and everything in that scene is done very well. Like I said, in my likes and uh, I appreciate what they did with that, but I understand where it's more be like, okay, they're kind of reveling in what they've done, but I'd be like, I just, I really, really enjoy it. Enjoy that part of the film. Uh, I don't really have a second or third dislike of this film. I do have one other third dislike and it okay. is a nitpick. Okay. Nitpick it. I don't really like most of the songs in the musical. Okay. Mean Green Mother is good. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the other ones do have a little bit of um, are, are, are fun, but for the most part, a lot of these songs. Well, I'm, I'm not really a fan of, of the music style because it's that weird jazzy gospel mm-hmm. kind of style, but it's not gospel music. It's the same problem I had with Hercules. Gotcha. Where I I just don't feel like the music fits that kind of story very mm. well. But for the most part, it's fine because ain't it's the same style of music they use that's used in Mean Green Mother. Yeah. But uh, I just think feel like for the most part, it's like it, it's the part. It, I, I like musicals that are more diegetic, that are okay. more. Uh, not really being performed by the characters, but really feel more like I can see the characters. Uh, breaking out into song a little bit more easier with some stuff gotcha. than this. None of, none of these really felt. Like, granted, this is supposed to be a cheesy movie. Yeah, I get that. It's literally made intentionally cheesy, and I think it's the intentional cheese coupled with the music. I think wore on me a little bit faster. Fair. It's not that the music is bad necessarily. It's just like I said, this is a nitpick. I just don't like some of the music as well. Fair enough. What's your, do you, you said you didn't have a third? Dislike? No, I do not. Then let's go ahead and rate this thing. All right. I'm giving it an eight. Okay. I thought this was a very fun movie. Yeah. Um, I do think the director's cut has the better ending, but like I said, I think that ending goes on a little too long. Um, but other than that, I enjoyed it. It's fun and shows you why you shouldn't let sin get even one little bit of a, of a foothold true very true even though we all let it that is true what is your uh rating for this oh gosh i'm gonna give it a little higher it's an 8.8.5 i thoroughly enjoyed this film 
from cinematography, from acting, the music, mm-hmm. even though be like, I agree with you in some ways. The music is be like, it's not maybe my style of music, yeah. but like I, I said, this that was very much nitpick. Yeah. Uh, the music in the movie is very well done. The the acting is done very well. The like the script, the direction, the cinematography is done all so incredibly well. And uh, this was a treat actually watching. And it's it's a it's a change of pace mm-hmm. for for what we normally do. And um, if given the chance to be like to watch something like this again, that maybe for the maybe for this maybe for uh. Uh, the Cellcast Plus or something we got yeah. on Patreon. Uh, like we need to release some of those episodes. Yes, we do. Um, so, yes, I'm going to give it 8.5. It's a really, really good movie, and I might actually buy this film. All right. And that's why I had no issue buying it mm. when uh, it came up. Because I had just literally what brought this movie to mind mm. was our good friend Nathan over at the Monster Island Film yeah. Vault. And they reviewed this, and I. Like I said, I'd only seen it one other time before mm. this viewing. And I remember thinking, you know, yeah, the, all these songs, all, all the, all, this whole movie is good. I don't remember what I, why I thought it was weird. Mm. I now remember why I thought it was weird, but I, I remember it differently <laughs> in a strange way. So, um, yeah. Uh, why don't we go ahead? Are you ready to jump into another? Tell, uh, uh, no, it's not really a monstrous thing. There's no monsters in these two episodes. No. Well, but- actually, one of them, there are a monster, but it's not a plant monster. Yeah. What what show are we watch? What movie we're watching next? Oh, the next movie, yes. is uh, Monster House. Yes, that's what we will be reviewing next week. But until then, we do have two episodes of Star Trek Lower Decks to review, mm-hmm. season two. Space, the final frontier. are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. First episode of the night will always have Tom Paris directed by Bob Suarez and written by M Willis. That's the only way it was credited. I tried to look for a full name, really find one in this episode. After being assigned a special task by Dr. Ta'ana, Tendi enlists Mariner for help on the USS Cerritos. Rutherford is consumed by a mystery involving a member of the bridge crew. In this episode, we see the return of Fred Tadasior as Lieutenant Shax. <laughs> I'll oh admit, when gosh. I first saw this episode, oh, I, what? <laughs> I did not expect where this went. Agreed. But we will get to that in a minute. Uh, Eric Baza plays the Cerritos con officer. Marcus Henderson plays Lieutenant Jet. Tom Kenny plays Quimp. 
Lauren Lapkus plays Jen. Paul Shear plays Lieutenant Commander Andy Billups. And in a guest role, or as a cameo mm-hmm. uh, episode, uh, role, we have Robert Duncan McNeil playing both Lieutenant Tom Paris and his commemorative plate. Oh, gosh. <laughs> the title of this episode invokes the famous line from the 1942 classic film Casablanca, as well as the title of the Star Trek Next Generation first season episode, We'll Always Have Paris, which itself is also a direct reference to the Casablanca quote. This episode is the 13th episode or film to feature the name of a character played by a member of the series' regular cast in its title. In this case, Tom Paris. However, in this instance, the named character is from the regular cast of a different series and is just making a guest appearance. This episode marks the return of Shax and explores the return from the dead phenomena that often appears in the franchise. Uh, among the dis- uh, the discussion, uh, the sessions allude to James C. Kirk's Nexus experience from Star Trek Generations, Spock's rebirth from Star Trek III, The Search for Spock, mm-hmm. Neelix being revived by Borg technology in the Voyager episode, Mortal Coil, and the appearance of Kimtar slash Alexander Roshenko from a future alternate timeline in next Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Firstborn. A later hallucination experienced by Rutherford depicts Shaxx in those aforementioned forms as well as other means that franchise characters returned, mm-hmm. including a mirror Shaxx dressed as James T. Kirk, coupled with an earlier reference to the mirror universe, because he did have a... Uh, what do you call that? Um, a go- uh, goatee. He yeah. did have a goatee. Um... Uh, Shax is a Borg drone, mm-hmm. referencing the best of both worlds. Shax emerging from a Dyson sphere, a la Montgomery Scott's return in the Next Generation episode Relics. Shax dressed as Neelix from that episode of Mortal Coil, and as James Moriarty in the Next Generation episode Ship uh, Elementary Dear Data and Ship in a Bottle. Shax wearing a Star Trek Next Generation Enterprise era Starfleet Operations Division uniform with Lieutenant Ranks Pips and a Star Trek, the original series era, Starfleet Operations Division uniform with lieutenant stripes. During Rutherford's hallucination, one Shaq says, what was the deal with DePaul's hair for that one year? Referencing to Paul's actress, Jolene Blaylock from Enterprise, uh, when she wore, and how she, she wore a wig for the character, which gave her an odd helmet hair look during the first season of Enterprise. During the same hallucination, Shaq says, in the Nexus, it's always Christmas. This is a reference to the Star Trek Generations, where Jean-Luc Picard experienced a Christmas with his illusory, illusory children and wife during his time in the Nexus. Hmm. Which both the next the Nexus was also referenced by uh, Boimler mm-hmm. when he was talking when they were talking about how people come back from the dead. Yeah. Uh, this episode marks the second time a show's abbreviation has been spoken by a character, with Boimler referring to Voyager as Voy. It also marks the second time Boimler has canonically hummed a theme to one of the shows with him briefly humming the theme to Voyager. Hmm. This episode also reveals that Mariner served aboard Deep Space Nine before the Kido overlapping with Worf's assignment on the, aboard the station. In addition to Worf, Mariner also references Odo and walks past a Quark's Bar franchise while on Quaylor 2. Mm-hmm. This episode also returns to the Bonestell Recreational Facility last seen in Star Trek The Next Generation episode Tapestry, 
which is where they were playing the uh, bomb jock game, the, the weird pool game. Oh, okay. Uh, in addition to the appearance of Tom Paris and artwork of USS Voyager, additional references were made to Catherine Janeway, Chakotay, Harry Kim, and the Kazon. And the time Paris broke the transwarp threshold and was turned into a salamander. A process apparently defined as a celerity-induced accelerate, accelerated somatic mutation rate. If you ever wanted a definition of technobabble, that was it. <laughs> On Voyager, Tom Paris held the rank of Lieutenant Junior Grade, exempting his temporary demotion to Ensign. Here he has been promoted to a full lieutenant. Uh, in the non in non-canon books uh, for Voyager, most of the Voyager crew did receive a two-grade promotion upon their return, including Paris, who became a lieutenant commander there, rather than just a lieutenant. Uh, this is the appearance of Tom Paris's comm badge on the plate is different from other depictions of the same comm badge design on lower decks, including the one worn by the real Tom Paris in the episode. Gotcha. Almost done. Boimler's commemorative Tom Paris plate is a reference to the Star Trek commemorative plates released by the Hamilton Collection. I remember seeing these. Mm. The Hamilton Collection did not release a Tom Paris-specific plate. However, in conjunction with the episode's release, Star Trek Unlimited released a plate identical to Boimler's Tom Paris plate. Also, StarTrek.com celebrated this episode as the 800th episode of Star Trek. Really? Memory Alpha's counts, where I get this information, uh, refer, ref, uh, their count refers to, re to releases and thus differs because it includes th the original Star Trek pilot, The Cage, and the 13 Star Trek films, and also counts the 10 feature-length episodes, which are Next Generation's Encounter at Farpoint, All Good Things, Deep Space Nine's episodes Emissary, The Way of the Warrior, What You Leave Behind, and Voyager's episodes Caretaker, Dark Frontier, Flesh and Blood, Endgame, and the Enterprise episode Broken Bow as single episodes. Hmm. Star Trek.com uh, counted each of those as two episodes based on production numbers. That's why if you look in different spots, you'll get different numbers. Hmm. But basically, somewhere around this, uh, this show is the 800th episode of Star Trek, period. Nice. Depending on how you count. Which brings me to the end of the trivia for this. Uh, I've talked a bunch, and uh, so I'm going to let you talk for a bit. What are your thoughts on this episode? Oh, my gosh. Mariner breaks something again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I understand she's the main character of this show. I get it. But every single time, like like all the episodes I have seen, Mariner somehow does something that catapults our episode. That's what makes the show good. Yeah. They're like, it's literally... She thinks she can do everything. It winds up getting herself in more and more trouble. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, she literally gets away with it like usual. Yeah. But um, th but the idea would be like, oh, you're going to break for this one. Surprise, surprise to that one. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the idea that, that Tinley and Mariner go on this, you know, girls trip, girls trip, <laughs> and they don't know each other really. And it's more, okay, how many times can we break this? This this scratching uh, post. We're just gonna call it a scratching. It's, it's post. a scratching post. Yes, it's a scratching post. <laughs> We're just gonna call it a scratching. Yes, post. A scratching post. Yeah, it's definitely a scratching post. Uh, and <laughs> I love the ending of this, though. Yes, agreed. <laughs> I'm just gonna get to that. Like just these two characters who don't know each other, and it's just like to to the very end where uh, Mariner 
is gonna say gonna try to save uh tinley's butt with it mm-hmm. it's like oh yeah i just oh, yeah, like, I, don't, yeah, I, don't care, I don't care about the thing i just wanted the box i just wanted the box and she goes in there and she, and she carries the box into her office and then jumps into it like a cat <laughs> well she is a cat she's a cat i know but still that was funny that was funny yeah. um the other thing i don't know if you caught this was all the stuff relating to tendy's past oh yeah that was hilarious yes <laughs> i was like wait a minute i i, I know a little I'm there again i am a very little I, mm-hmm. I know a little bit on star trek but i was like wait a minute isn't tendy one of those be like where the women are like the dominant but so tendy is an orion orion that's it yeah yeah orions were originally introduced females only originally yeah and start in the original series of course namely the very first uh, episode the cage yeah. the first um uh pilot which most people will remember from like the ending credits because the shot of mm. the uh, the original person who played the first orion slave girl is always placed at the end of the first uh mm-hmm. season yeah during those credits ironically do you know who that actress is no the same one who would go on to play or was playing at the same time Batgirl in the Batman 66 TV oh, show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Same actress. Wow. She is the first Orion slave girl. Really? And that's how all we knew of these characters for a long time was Orion slave girls. Yeah. We think they're, they were the ones who mm-hmm. were enslaved yeah. be- by fr- to Orion slavers mm-hmm. until Enterprise. Mm-hmm. Because the Orions disappeared for three whole television series. Mm-hmm. Voyager makes sense. It was in another quadrant. But... Uh, TNG and Deep Space Nine, even though the Orions were right there and could have shown up at any time, never showed up for whatever mm. reason. Yeah. Showed back up in Enterprise as it was trying, as Enterprise was, you know, a prequel to the original series. Mm-hmm. So it was actually bringing in old original series stuff that we hadn't seen in a while. Yeah. And they brought back in the Orions. And we learned that the Orion slave girls were not the slaves. It was, it was the men. <laughs> That, that that was how we learned that really and that was in an episode of enterprise 40 30 40 years later nice and the fact that oh she had a past life that she decided to leave to join mm. starfleet i thought was very interesting i did and we'll come back up yeah okay that's all okay. i'm gonna say i got you got you i i i like the idea of be like you get to you know recognize not recognize but you get to uh explore a little bit more tindley tindley tindy tindy's past that's not even her name tindy is her last name yeah because technically she is ensign tindy is instant her full name mm. is uh ensign devani tindy but yeah most people are just going to call her tindy. tindy much like uh most of us think of ensign beckett mariner mm. as mariner mm. uh bradward boimler as, as boimler. boimler yeah and samanford rutherford <laughs> i think that's what it is yeah as rutherford rutherford but it's just like i'm or baby I'm, bear baby baby bear that's what you you've forgotten this haven't you it's been a while yes uh that one of those early that episode in the first season yeah. where Rutherford is going on going into different departments. Yeah. And he's in security and actually does an amazing job in security, but mm. this, but realizes he likes engineering. Mm-hmm. At that point is when Shax first called him Baby Bear. That's he was right. The baby bear of the department. That's and that, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's and right. At Shax's last line in season one was hang in there, baby, baby bear. bear. That's right. And Shax even calls him that baby bear in this episode that's right he does that's right 
That's right. Thank you for the reminder. Um, but yeah, this is a good episode. This is where two characters get to know each other. And definitely when the good doctor just like get, gets her and be like, oh, I don't care about this. I'm with the box. <laughs> it just turns into a cat just rear yeah. with the big eyes and everything. It's like, what is in that box? Catnip. <laughs> Had to be as big as her eyes got. <laughs> Oh my gosh! And then you she get... turned into baby cat there for a minute. Oh, that was hilarious! Absolutely, but that was hilarious. Rutherford, what? Rutherford story. Rutherford trying to figure out what happened to Shax. Yeah, that was absolutely a stare. I've got to know. I've got to know. It's like, and that one guy gets reassigned because he dared ask what happened. Yeah, and then Rutherford corners him in the turbo lift, and. Shaq starts to tell him mm-hmm. and we never find out the full story because apparently we don't need to know apparently, <laughs> but it was going off on in crazy town. Yeah. Agreed. But I did love like the first time I saw it mm-hmm. and I was seeing all the little hallucinations and mm-hmm. stuff, all being references to how past characters yeah. came back from the dead. <laughs> it's like, Oh my word. Even except the, the Dyson sphere is a little weird because yeah, Scotty did revive on a. He was trapped in a transporter, a beam in the mm-hmm. in the uh, on board a ship that was crashed on a Dyson sphere. It mm. wasn't the Dyson sphere itself that revived him, mm. even though that's the basis for J.J. Abrams's magic transporter of Scotty's, as I call it. I'm sorry. That was one of the things about that movie that annoys me is scotty's magic transporter mm. that shouldn't work that way but right. beside the point yeah we're not here for that yes um oh my gosh but it's like boimler boimler boimler's story boimler's in this. story is great the, Granted, i wish tom paris had had a bigger role in this but he's almost a nothing character in this it's just a nice character to show back up for a mm. couple minutes but that whole bit where He's just trying. The ship still doesn't recognize him because of the upgraded security on the on it, right? And he's just trying to get there, and he climbs all the way to the bridge in turbo lifts, and then gets attacked, and then gets a, and then gets attacked by Tom Paris, apparently having PTSD. Well, when you show up, be like, "You're red. You look like you're just right. like like you lost says, your it's mind." It's a Kazon. It's like. Looks nothing like a Kazon. <laughs> I'll show you a picture of a Kazon. You'll see he Boimler look nothing like. Oh, uh, okay, I got you, got gotcha. you. But, uh, but yeah, just like this story is so wacky and nuts. It is. It's a good episode, but yeah. boy, is it wacky. <laughs> it, this is one of the weirder episodes. And Agreed. When I say season two is not as good, it's because of weird episodes like this that don't really seem like. It, season two for me and this is just a weird aside mm-hmm. um it really felt like they knew that they, they had they had used everything they had in season one because they didn't think they were going to get a season two maybe but season one was so well loved that they had to make a season two and really weren't sure where to go with it yeah and this is one of those episodes where it feels like we're not sure what the story is mm-hmm. yet and we're just kind of making a couple filler episodes till we figure out what we're doing yeah Thankfully, they do go back and reference this in like future episodes, but 
eh, this one it's like okay yeah we realized we needed to bring shacks back so mm-hmm. we're gonna have an excuse for rutherford to go wait where, where'd you go it's like and they do at least reference the fact that he's doesn't should not remember that because mm-hmm. that's some of the memory he would have lost yeah. uh, at the end of season one but he's remember starting to remember some things so yeah fair enough fair enough uh that means we need to head on to the next episode mm-hmm. mugato gumato directed by jason zurich and written by ben rogers the uss cerritos is dispatched to a plant to investigate an unexplained sighting of a dangerous mugato in this episode we've got anthony Atamanuik playing Honus, Robert Gilbert playing Patingi, Tom Kenny as Kink, Denobulan One, and a, a Ferengi goon, Phil Lamar as Admiral Freeman and uh, a man, the manager, a manager, mm-hmm. Jessica McKenna as Nurse, Denobulan Two, and Ensign Barnes, Ben Rogers as Steve Stevens, and Paul F. Tompkins. As Hyde. Okay. You know, Shorty played Hyde. The, oh, the green yeah, alien. that's right. That's right. Thank you, Dave. Thank <laughs> you. Uh, the title is a reference to the confused naming of the Mugato in the original series episode, A Private Little War. This creature was named Gumato in the script, but DeForest Ke- Kelly, who plays um, Dr. McCoy, could not pronounce the word Gumato, so it was changed to Mugato, which Kelly and William Shatner proceeded to pronounce Mugatu. However, Janos Prohaska was credited in the episode as Gumato. Okay. <laughs> the title also riffs on the expression tomato, tomato mm-hmm. uh, from the song. Let's call the whole thing off by George and Erwa Gershwin. This episode make, marks the first on-screen appearance of the Denobulan species since Star Trek Enterprise, including their defensive face puff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Mugato were first introduced as being native to the planet Neural in the Star Trek original series episode, Private Little War. This episode marks the first appearance of a Kazinti in Star Trek canon since the Star Trek animated uh uh, first season episode the slaver weapon while the appearance established at least one krasinti had joined starfleet they may not be members of the federation given riker's dialogue in star trek picard first season episode nepenthe uh mariner calls kink and his associates some creepy throwback la- last outpost style ferengi referring to the first appearance of the ferengi and their fur bearing uniforms as seen in the star trek the next generation first season episode, the last outpost, hmm. the holographic projector that Rutherford and Boimler make resembles the makeshift cannon. Captain Kirk built when he fought the Gorn in the original series episode arena, hmm. Boimler and Rutherford mentioning that a compromise is an agreement that neither side is happy with is a reference to what Jonathan Archer said to Thylak Shran and Soval during their negotiations in the, enterprise second season episode ceasefire hmm. archer was the captain of enterprise yes. and and the uh shran and soval were andorians hmm. who were not good characters in uh enterprise oh their characters ended up good but they were from but the andorians were an they were aggressive alien species despite the fact they're one of the founding members of the federation 
Interesting. But the Federation hadn't been founded in Enterprise. So, anyway. What is your thoughts on this episode? This episode is interesting. There again, it's one of those, be like, oh, we got an adventure to do. Yeah. And uh, I feel like this is a, a filler episode also, to be Kind honest. of, kind of. It's, oh, we're going to go on this mission. Oh, we got to uh, preserve this this uh, weird, weird creature. Gor- horned gorilla. Horned monster. gorilla. Horned gorilla. And they'd be like, obviously, they, they come in contact with the Ferengi. I'm saying that right? Yes, Ferengi. the Ferengi. Yeah. And, uh, and, that, and they are the original next generation episode style Ferengi. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's, 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 it's an interesting episode. Like you said, it's probably more of a filler episode and it's more of, uh, if I get these guys, right. Uh, Boingler and, uh, Rutherford, uh, them, it's, it's them nerding out over a, a, a strategy game and, uh, or mm-hmm. it's a strategy game. It's a strategy game called Diplomath diplomath and it's hilarious that uh uh mariner is like this is the stupidest thing ever and by the and by end the end the- she's actually beating them yes and like the one of the like main um uh, um uh, main threads throughout this entire episode that uh bormler and um rutherford believe that uh mariner is a spy like this like this she's a member of section 31 which I don't understand section 31. You saw Star Trek into darkness. Yes. Okay. That's right. Yeah. yeah, That's, yeah. You will know section 31 from that. Yeah. Section 31 was introduced in deep space nine mm-hmm. as kind of this weird clandestine yeah, yeah, yeah. part of the Federation mm-hmm. that by that time, the Federation had mostly forgotten about, but it still technically existed because it is in the Starfleet charter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, they were in that episode, they were trying to get, um, O'Brien and um I think actually I think it was just they were trying to get O'Brien to work for them instead mm. of and to leave the or be, to be their agent on Deep Space 9 basically. Yeah. yeah. But uh they mostly originally were in a Deep Space 9 subplot. We did not see them in Voyager or Enterprise into Darkness reintroduced them to mm-hmm. most people and then it would eventually get reused in uh Discovery? Discovery season 2 included a bunch of them and they were involved i think a little bit in picard season one i may be wrong on that one yeah but anyway they are essentially the clandestine uh uh secret service of the federation i gotcha and in a lot of cases they are dead Hmm. officially Hmm. bringing that up for a later episode i gotcha okay (laughs) Yeah, this was an interesting episode. It was more the the conspiracy that's like, oh my gosh, she's a like a killer assassin. Mm-hmm. That's me like me like she she's seen uh uh throwing a putting a dagger in the uh in the shacks. In the shacks. And then sucking his blood. <laughs> I was like, what the heck? <laughs> yeah, that part came right out of nowhere, but I was like, okay, I know that they're playing that as a joke, and she's probably just sucking the 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 poison out of him. Uh-huh. But that does look kind of crazy in the middle of this fight to see it. Uh-huh. <laughs> Definitely we don't Especially have context after, that anything yeah, going on. Yeah. But it's just like in there again, it's it's Mariner. She wants to throw, you know, uh, she she wants to throw this this mystery of what kind of person she is and because she's trying to keep everyone at arm's length. Exactly. And I think it's like one of her 
like there again it's the kind of character to be like like she says in the episode it's be like like anytime i get someone close to anybody they get moved up or down or whatever like so, boimler did like boimler did exactly <laughs> And uh, I'm curious where that goes. Be like, do, do we get a full, you know, a uh, a full complement of characters who are growing together and becoming friends in the lower decks, or do we have characters move off? I would say there is one additional character that really kind of joins the main decks characters, and we've actually seen that character in a couple episodes. Okay, especially of this season. Um, but that character never really becomes part of the core four okay i got you all right yeah this was this is a good episode like you said before, like you said earlier it seems like a filler episode uh we're definitely not going to get into the uh what happened with the monkeys <laughs> that was really nothing too crazy that's I, the I dis- that is the disappointing part of this is you bring in the mugato who haven't been seen yeah since the original series yeah and they you get one nice little jump scare at the beginning of the yeah. episode, which you could have done a whole lot more. You could have made this almost like a comedy horror thing. Yeah, agreed. But they didn't do that. It's just we went to this other thing where they're more worried about Mariner being, you know, this evil trained assassin. Yeah, that's going to kill everybody. Yeah. Um. But that's I think that was primarily like the kinda, the, the th- plot thread of I, this episode. I feel like the Mugato were a thing they added and because they had one silly little joke based around the fact that nobody could say the, this alien race's name, right. Mm-hmm. In the original series. Right. And they were going to play with that joke about how there were alternate uses of it. And they did that, but that joke kind of was stale after yeah. like the first time it was mentioned. Yeah. Uh, one interesting thing I want to point out just because I know where it goes is, did you catch when uh, Shax was in sick Bay? that uh hmm. dr taana kind of was giving him some special treatment oh oh my gosh yes yes oh i'm bringing gosh. i'm bringing that up because that will come back up oh okay i got you now the other thing we want to talk about is tendy oh gosh tendy oh going yeah. around and getting all the people who haven't done their gotten their physical yes stuff, yes which the physical seems very easy nowadays and the last one is the doctor patient what oh two one nine point eight yeah it's like who could that be that's a weird question oh it, we it's not something we're about it's you doctor i don't want to be scared it's like you should know what this is better than anybody else you mm-hmm. silly cat <laughs> and this is they chase and each they, other the entire right. time it's and like, then oh, Tendi, job, and then Tendi injures herself. Yes. getting the scan, and she does finally get it because it's Tendi, but mm-hmm. she does. And then the doctor says, "Oh, that wasn't so bad after all." It's like you're a doctor in Starfleet. <laughs> you have a, in order to become the head doctor at this point, you look like you're forty freaking years. You've been serving on these ships for forty years, right? To, uh, to Anna or the, the human equivalent of that. Uh-huh. Why the crap are you just now worried of acting like it's a big deal to get scanned by a tricorder? <laughs> I don't get it. It's a, a, that was a weird thing, but the, I will admit the links Cindy went to mm-hmm. that was funny. It's that just, was that funny. was that was definitely the tertiary, the third plot mm-hmm. that was not even really focused on. This one I don't. This episode I don't feel was done as well as a lot of the others. Okay, fair enough. And, and admittedly, I had actually forgotten this episode. I rewatched it uh, this afternoon. Okay. 
So yeah, that's I think going to bring us to the end of this. Okay. Um, go ahead. I agree with you. Uh, I do want to make a note: if you are watching the show, or if you're watching Star Trek Lower Decks on the app, if you were watching on, uh, oh come on, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, or whatever, the on the Paramount Plus app or through the Amazon channel. Uh, through the Amazon, not Amazon, but the the Paramount Plus app. Paramount Plus app. It does be like for me, anyways. Be like, I'll watch one episode, try to go to the next one. It literally, it's it literally won't do anything. You literally have to go in, shut the program down, reload it again, log back in, and then watch another episode. That's annoying. That is very annoying. So yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Next week we'll be reviewing the uh, the episode "Embarrassment of Duplers" and "Spy Humongous." Humongous. Spy so humongous. we'll be reviewing those two episodes next time. But in the meantime, this has been Drew. This is Jacob, and we'll catch you in the next frame. You can follow Jacob on his Facebook at Jacob B Heron. His Facebook page, Jacob's Daily Art Corner, where he tries to draw each and every day. His Instagram at Jacob B Heron. His Twitter at Jacob Heron. And his letterbox at Jacob Heron. You can find Drew on Facebook at Drew Dodgen. His Facebook page Drew's photo bin to see his photography. His letterbox page at G George759. His Twitter at G George759. And Instagram at Drew Dodgen. You can like us on Facebook at the Cellcast Podcast. On Twitch at the Cellcast Gaming. On YouTube at Cellcast on Twitter at cast underscore cell. The Cellcast can be found at Apple Podcasts, Google Play Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or anywhere else fine podcasts are downloaded from. Please rate and review us where you found us and also on Podchaser. Email us at thecellcastpodcast at gmail.com. The Cellcast is a proud member of both the Pop Americana and Culture Box Media Networks. For more information please see the link in the description. Our theme song is Drop and Roll by Silent Partner. And remember, that's Cell with a single L.